Well, that almost worked as a great transition. Hey, Internet, my name is Jonathan Fisk, and I am here to rescue you. You have found the Mount Christian YouTube channel. Jesus is risen. You are paid for. He won't be long now. You are immortal. Anyway, the water seals it. The food feeds it. This is Christianity. You should join us. And this is election night. Oh my goodness. What are we even to make of it? Hold on. Hold on. I even have like a graphic. If I, if I, 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 I made a graphic. Where's my graphic? That's not my graphic. There's my graphic. I don't know. It's there. I'll find it. I'll find it. No, I won't. There was a graphic to make you feel like it was election night. So what we're going to do instead is talk about why I think this is important as we wait for friends and family to be hanging out. I got a lot of people calling me tonight. We're just going to bring them in when they show up. We're going to talk about whatever's on their mind and how it relates to whatever news is on your mind. There's a party in the Discord. You can find that in the YouTube below, I think, or someone will talk to you in the comments on the side. But the Discord party is really where it's at. Of course, YouTube comments, nothing wrong with that at all. And the, the real idea is to try to survive the evening of white noise, chaos, matrix, fear-mongering nonsense with the certainty that life will go on even should the empire fall, depending on, you know, how you view the empire and all, all that kind of stuff. So, so... You know, G.K. Chesterton, who is this guy? He, he's a Roman Catholic thinker, a friend of C.S. Lewis, probably the reason C.S. Lewis is a Christian. If you've never heard of Chesterton, you should check him out. If you've never read Chesterton, you should you should check out his Twitter feed at least. I, I think they're on Recycle, but they're pretty good. I, I, I retweet him regularly, and of course today this came out, what it was, 51 minutes ago, maybe a little longer than that. Uh, but for my feed, it was, what, three hours ago, four hours ago? And what does he say here? He says, I never discuss anything except politics and religion. There is nothing else to discuss. And you can see him being, oh, a bit of a jovial snark at this idea that you shouldn't discuss religion or politics in polite company because that gets in the way of polite company. Now, I think... I think maybe we are at a time in history where we realize that silence does not beget love, right? Silence does not grow us in understanding of the person who's different than us. Silence does not teach us how to reconcile with each other. So at some point, you must talk about the gods and you must talk about the city you live in. Otherwise, well, evil men are just going to run the city, right? And, and I'm not here to promote anybody tonight, particularly other than Jesus Christ. Yeah. And at the same time, I live in this country just like you. So I want, I want to have discussion. I want to have the freedom as a Christian, as a Lutheran, and as a pastor to have civil discourse about the things that certainly do impact not only me, us, but my children, my progeny, my hope for them and their faithful walking according to the word of God for the rest of their lives. Those things matter. In my locality, where they're trying to amend the Constitution to allow like a progressive tax they never have to ask you about again. That matters, right? So the golden night is just to hang out, talk about stuff. Whatever's going on in the chat, I can't be responsible for. Whatever goes on with other people come on, well, they're responsible for their own comments, right? Another part of the future is we've got to realize if you're on the internet and talking to people and someone comes in and be a jerk, be as being a jerk, you have to ignore them. The answer is not to flame out snowflake and cancel them. The answer to is to ignore them out of existence. The more you just don't let them be acknowledged, the more the troll? The troll really doesn't want to throw its stuff at you anymore, right? And that kind of behavior will strengthen us. The ability to be stronger than an argument you disagree with. You don't have to have it be silenced. If some of us could take that attitude to the internet, we spend less time on the internet, right? Take that attitude to our lives, we get a little further in our discussions with our friends and neighbors about everything, from the resurrection of Jesus to the ascendancy of somebody, right? Somebody. All right, so, all right, we have to talk about the city. 
politics from the Greek polis. You get the word police out of this too, eventually, the defenders of the city. Christians, you have no choice but to talk about politics because you must talk about your city. Now, if all politics means to you is two-party system all the way at the top and you're arguing over global standards, well, you're not really aware of politics then, are you? You don't really know how anything works, how the water gets to you, how the electricity grids run, all that, how the school systems work, who chooses which the bus, the bus drivers and what buses are going to do. That's called politics. That's called taking care of your city. And anybody who's not involved in that is just lazy honestly uh, you're just you're just gonna get well uh, the, the democracy you didn't pay for right? the, uh, the one you got voted out of is what you're gonna get with that so I think you have to talk about these things and you have to do it from the perspective of your religion you have to be able to be the Christian you are which means that don't kill means don't kill right murder being the thing we're talking about it means that no adultery means no adultery it means no stealing it means no stealing it means no lying it means no lying and that that's gonna apply when you vote on laws when you vote on persons yeah, it might impact you. If somebody's a real jerk, has a lot of a, a, a crass and a bemeaning, demeaning attitude, that might indeed impact the way you vote. But then again, so might also the selling of baby parts and embryos and all this kind of stuff or all manner of what's it not, you know, behind backroom deals of what deep state? I don't know. Margaret Sanger, at the very least, having a long and storied tradition of, of despising certain areas and well, ethnicities in the country and trying to see them killed through abortion. Uh, that's out there, right? You got to talk about that at a certain point. And you got to tell your brothers and sisters about, about this as a reality. This is the planet we live in. We have blood guilt on us as a nation. I've been overwhelmed as I've been studying. Uh, oh, here comes Flammy. I've been overwhelmed as I've been studying uh, the Old Testament this year, this idea of blood guilt and how the people were so aware, even the pagans were aware of innocent blood and what it could do to you. Hey, Brian Flamey, you, you are absolutely on and on and on. First one to join, first one to hang out. How you doing, man? Hey, pretty good. Trying to see what's happening so far with the returns. And uh, this is great. Apparently, all the Republicans go to, er uh, to vote early. So what that means is you have all these red states. <laughs> There's only like so three of them though, right Indiana, now, right? Kentucky, Florida, New Hampshire. Ooh, ooh, that's, so that's a few more than I had seen. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. Well, is it because the, mine are showing that there's a very small amount of actual expected vote in? So, like Virginia, I'm looking at Politico right now. Virginia says 53% Trump, 46% uh, Biden, 1% of expected vote. Right? Kentucky is that called already? No. Why is there that one's like solid though? Do you see that? Uh, uh, my Kentucky says what one hundred and sixty four thousand uh, four hundred and eighty eight. So fifty two percent to forty six percent one forty seven one eight six for Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah. really close. But there's only sixteen percent of the vote in there for me. What I'm trying to figure out. Hold on, hold on. I'm gonna. I'll see if I can. Can you? I don't know if you'll be able to see my stuff. You won't be able to see it. That's unfortunate. If I, uh, everybody else will be able to see my screen. Um, when I go here and Kentucky is, is solid and there's a check mark by it, but it's only 16%. And so this shows you how little I know about this kind of politics and why you're not here to get this from me. What I see though, that, that makes me excited, Flammy, is that, yeah, Republicans are voting. Okay. What does that mean? Why, well, why, why that, would that, why so do we care? One of the things I've been paying attention to up until this point is uh, a lot of the uh, popular media coverage. Like, I'm getting my return results here from Reuters, you know. And it was also on Reuters that they had uh, a couple of stories out today and yesterday where they, they were talking about um, how the polling was so strongly in favor of Joe Biden 
that it was influencing the stock market. And what the and uh, and this bump in the stock market, you know, everybody's portfolios are doing a little bit better yes uh, today than they were yesterday. Right, uh, has to do with everybody expecting just by a landslide Joe Biden uh, throwing over Trump. But uh, you but you know how these things go. The way the night starts is not necessarily how the night ends. It is so so early. It is. I have no idea what any of this means, honestly. If if I recall, every year, like you have a couple of states very early that are just Republican states, right? They just they are, are red states every year, and they just call early, and that's it. Um, I'm seeing Vermont as a solid blue right now, also uh, with a 29 electoral votes. I don't even get this though. This map doesn't make sense. So zero percent of anything's been counted, but they've called it. Okay. Um, again, this is not why we're here at the moment in my mind, because that's when Mark Hemingway shows up later. He's going to be the one who clarifies all of this for us. Uh, yeah, yeah we're here to more discuss. Oh, why does this matter to you? Flammy, you're, where are you? You're in Arizona. I am in New Mexico. That's right. New, New Mexico. Mexico. Roswell. I knew that. Um, why does this matter to you? Why does this election matter? And locally, why does it matter? I mean, I just I said a few moments before you got on. For me, one of the biggest things today, the biggest thing today, maybe, um, is the vote no on a constitutional amendment to the Constitution of Illinois. That's a big deal for us here. <clears throat> so what's going on like that in your neck of the woods in Roswell? Well, New Mexico is kind of in a strange position. It's it's a blue state. It's a uh, democratic but only because the two big urban centers and increasingly the, th- the three urban centers, which would be Santa Fe, Albuquerque and uh, Las Cruces, um, have uh, an urban voting demographic, which just leans liberal and right. progressive. Always does. Uh, out, out where I live, though, in, in Roswell, we are three hours away from any other uh, town of size and, and resources and facilities. And it's deeply conservative out here. I mean, it's and, and, and so it's part of the frustration of rural America, at least where I live, that that you have a, you live in a state uh, where it's politically, uh, according to policy, very different from how the people think and act and speak. And one of the things that matters to us in New Mexico, especially in a place like Roswell, are, you know, the. Uh, the lives of the unborn babies, hmm. and uh, and it's been very difficult to advocate for those in a blue st- in a state as blue as ours. You know that the that the voting populations in Santa Fe and Albuquerque uh, really make it easy, uh, you know, for for women uh, who have been deceived into desiring abortion to to uh, you know obtain that. And so so in so especially here in our rural neck of the woods. Uh, we, we even don't even look at the federal so much as we look at the state. And even because the state is so different from how we are, uh, a lot of our uh, politics is local, which is very different from uh, where I've grown up before. You know, I, I've grown up in Indianapolis, Indiana. I, I spent some time in I've spent some time in uh, what other big cities around here like Orlando, Florida, uh, Honolulu, Hawaii, San Diego, California. There's just uh, uh, around Chicago now, land. Can I interrupt? Is it, so do you think that this yeah. is you're getting involved because it's like that where you are? I've been all over, too, man. I lived all over this country, east, west and central, and I've never gotten involved like I have this year in local politics and it's led up to it this year leading up to it being concerned about it figuring out who my sheriff is figuring out who my congressman is what they stand for who's in common all this i never cared until this year mm. so is it just because of where i am or is this something that a lot of us are reckoning with now i, I forget who i was talking to earlier and i don't think i'm gonna be able to say it as well as i did earlier but like <clears throat> if we do not 
realize that we have a civic duty to take care of our country, we're not going to have a country. And there's, there's a generation of us, I think, that we're just kind of waiting for someone to ask us to get involved. And maybe we're done waiting. Is that a way to look at it? I don't know. Yeah, or, or maybe it's just that the federal politics are so crazy that your only alternative is to look to the state and the local levels. And in fact, it's it's very helpful if you get to look your politicians in the eye to have a conversation with them. That, that's more of a natural political experience. Uh, the, the, the abstract federal hypercharged politics that we live through in the Twitter feed or on the major news networks, that is what feels to me to be artificial and uh, your involvement there. It may get you part of the, the, the grand conversation, I suppose, but at the same time, your voice is not going to be nearly as important as it is at a local level. Right. Yeah. Your local congressman particularly is going to appreciate you more than your national congressman or your, or your senator. As much as the senator is going to be like, thank you for voting for me, right? He's not going to have the time for you uh, that your yeah. local congressman is going to have. But when you talk about even Roswell, though, and maybe your local congressman's struggle is he then goes to the state Congress and doesn't really find any way to get traction for the needs of Roswell dealing with this, you know, blue state that is uh, city run by places far away from you. The, the phrase taxation without representation uh, has come into my mind often in my life uh, since I was told I don't, that's not a problem here anymore since, you know, 200 years ago, apparently it, it, that all went away. Um, more and more, I have thought, you know, that really is exactly what's, what we have here. Um, we have people far away ruling people uh, who have completely different lives than them. A brief history of power yeah. of the podcast I'm doing with Kuntz. You know, we kind of deal with this in terms of class warfare and whatnot. Um, but I'd be curious to hear your own take on that. I mean, is that what you see happening as well? Oh, sure. If you have like a pretty uh, homogenous rural community like Roswell, uh, this uh, no taxation re without representation becomes not just a national conversation or at the time of the American Revolution, an international conversation. It's, it's even a local state conversation. It seems unfair, <laughs> you know, that we should that the policies of a liberal government in, in Albuquerque and in Santa Fe should dictate uh, uh, to the rest of the state that shares from their own perspective, none of the values of those who are governing. Uh, case in point and how the COVID crisis has been handled here in New Mexico. Uh, the folks in Roswell are big on personal autonomy. You know, yeah. uh, that's part of yeah. the Western mindset out here yeah. that I that my family deserves to have our own land holding. And on my land, it's my law. You know, my uh, and uh, I get to decide how best to raise my children, which school to send them to and. And uh, what church to attend. And, and uh, if I want to walk into the, this store or that store, you know, if I want to do it with a mask or without a mask, it's up to me to decide. Uh, and so when uh, some of the most strict mandates in the entire country came down on New Mexico, it was, it was a bitter pill. Hmm. It was a bitter pill for the, for the rural folks out here to swallow. And it, honestly, when it came to a lot of the, uh, the mandates and, and, and the orders, we've had local law enforcement say, well, yeah, that's that's the law, but we're not necessarily going to enforce it. Right. You know, right, right, right. And We've so had there, that there, here so, as well, by the way. Yeah. Similar. And so what, what's nice about that, though, is is that life goes on. You know, we've had I've had a pretty normal experience over the past year, uh, which I'm I'm grateful for. And uh, and from time to time when, you know, the the state has been ordered to crack down on, you know, these Roswellians, <laughs> the police have usually given the folks a heads up saying, Hey, we might be there in an hour, so just in case you, huh. you folks want to 
leave your event or, or go wow. away for a while. But I mean, back. who wants to live in the time in Robin Hood at the time of Robin Hood? And that, that's the question, right? So someone's going to say, why are you Lutheran pastors talking about this stuff? You shouldn't talk about politics. And then it's like, wait, no, this Lutheran pastor is having his like life and ministry challenged by the state government. So you have to be in a semi clandestine relationship with your local nobles. I mean, <laughs> this is this is like a weird thing, right? Oh, it sounds Lutheran. Is what it it sounds. does a little bit. You're right. That's that's good. Uh, I was going to say there wasn't a class on this at seminary, but the Re- Reformation history should have covered that. Uh, there was not a one to one application to American society back then, though, if I recall. They didn't they didn't foretell yeah. this. I see a little friend behind you there. Um, yeah, there's Caleb. Yeah, uh, he he escaped into the room. Yeah. Nice to hang out for a while. Yeah. So. All right. Well, hopefully, hopefully YouTube doesn't shut us down for that. They sometimes get freaked out about kids, but hopefully okay. he'll just hide in the back. Um, they're always worried about bad stuff. Uh, there's bad oh, stuff yeah. on the internet, you know. Hmm. Um, uh, nobody had laptops with that involved in it in the last couple of weeks that might impact today and the conversation. Why should I want to get back to though? Why should um, why and how much should a Lutheran pastor talk about this kind of stuff? Uh, so. As Christians, we have more than just a purely spiritual life, right? I mean, so so I grew up with this mentality, and you can tell me if you had a similar experience, but in the Missouri Senate, uh, there was this sort of separation between church issues and political issues. And in the church, uh, you could hear about things like the forgiveness of sins and, and the Jesus and the Bible stories, right? And you could hear about sort of practical applications to your regular day-to-day life. But when it came to issues like abortion uh, or the uh, the cultural shifts that were going on in society, even back in the 1980s when I was in 90s, when I was growing up, those were considered to be somewhat taboo. Uh, you know, the pastor who talked about that, at least in the congregations I had been a part of, the pastor who talked about those things was doing something that was uh, in a lot of people's in a lot of people's minds distasteful. Uh, that he didn't maintain this sort of polite dis- distance between these two aspects of people's lives, the political and the and the spiritual. And uh, thanks be to God, I think, especially over the past 15, 20 years, our Missouri Synod has been much more vocal uh, in saying that, uh, no, as Christians, we have a duty to our neighbor uh, to speak up for the lives of the unborn. We shouldn't be seen as nonpartisan in this. We should be seen as as highly valuing. Uh, these children in the in the in the wombs of the mothers is is valuable in God's sight, and not just in God's sight. If it, if it matters to God, it should matter to us as well. You know? Yeah, that's the and issue. So even, go ahead, go ahead, keep going, keep going. Yeah, yeah, and so and so you know, the, we've had to engage in conversations about natural law uh, of human dignity, and uh, that's been, I think, really good for our synod. It's uh, definitely shifted uh, the stance at Fort Wayne, uh, the seminary where I went to. While I was there, you know, they spoke out much more firmly by the time I left about things about like, like birth control. You hmm. Know? Hmm. Uh, when I first got there, they, they said we no opinion. By the time I left, I remember being in a symposium, Dr. Gishin saying we used to be neutral on this, but we were wrong. Now we have to speak against it because uh, birth control represents an attack on God's creation and his hmm. gifts for men. Hmm. Can, so you, can you been, elaborate on that just a touch since that's it's a bit of a topic? I'm not in disagreement with you, but it's not one I've broached often on the channel. So uh, just curious if you want to give a little elaboration there. Yeah, so, so the idea there is that, uh, you know, during the sexual revolution of the 1960s and the extended into the 1970s, and even till today, we're still living in the aftermath and the unfolding of that. Um, uh, you, 
you started to have this idea of uh, sexual pleasure as something that uh, should be enjoyed for its own sake. It became detached from right. the institution right. which God bounded in, in the, by the sixth commandment, which is marriage. And there, its purpose is not personal fulfillment or satisfaction. The purpose is for uh, you know, bearing and rearing children and for strengthening that marital bond, and it's, it's for a family. And once you separate out one aspect of the from the commandment, that, that becomes an idol and a destructive idol. It mm. undermines creation as opposed to holding it up, which it would do if it remained within the bounds of the of the sixth commandment. And uh, and I think. Uh oh. Uh oh. There's Wolf Mueller. He can talk. About yeah, he's he's hopping in. He's hopping in. <laughs> so let, give me a sec. I'll bring him in here with us so he can join us in the chat. And uh, uh, we're talking about. The challenge that the birth control movement brought upon civilization, particularly, and I'm going to summarize for Flammy here, detaching the body from the life in the sexual relationship of marriage, as if the body is just this thing you do stuff with, and then life is a different thing. You kind of do one with the one and one with the other. That impacts a lot of life, but Flammy was talking about how at, at the seminary, um, when you guys were there, maybe nobody would talk about this at all. Um, and now uh, these days, well, marriage marriage is really on the forefront of people's minds. We can, we can go that direction or anywhere else. He just left the camera, so I don't. I just took him off. Excuse me. What's up, Brian? How you doing? I, uh, hey, guys. Which way What's do I up? need to go? So I came just at the right spot, huh? Shoot. Talk about birth control. I know. Well, <laughs> Flammy brought it up. Flammy brought it up. And just for fun, here come, just for fun, here comes my wife. Three senator to Christians in general, and uh, and we, you know, I mentioned abortion, and then we spiraled off into this. So, but since we're, it's a, it's a difficult part. It's great that you're here. Uh, thanks be to God for that. It's, there is something that I've been thinking about this a lot with Corona because uh, technology can only create sterility, right? So, um, so, so you have this sort of technological advance of, of birth control, which is really, you, you know, I, Al Mohler traces this back in his book. What is it? We cannot be silent, and he ta- he he traces the whole. Um, kind of beginning of the sexual revolution to the technological advances surrounding birth control so it, it does connect to that because that was always the goal the goal is to it, it says it's to emancipate women right that's the goal but really what it is is to create the other half of the workforce's ability to leave the home and the farmstead and come into the factory that's the real end Ooh. of this industrialization so uh before we go too far on that since the lady stepped in let me introduce my wife meredith i'm not sure you've ever been officially on video with me no. yeah no so say hi to brian and brian you can see them both there and hey meredith good to see you hi it's good to see you guys too well that right there you're <laughs> sounding pretty my... good but you're just yeah, yeah you're good like... right there you're good a microphone <laughs> uh, did you try to talk jonathan out of this idea tonight or no I didn't. I, I don't. I, I know better than to do that. Oh, <laughs> dance, dance. Oh my goodness. Why do you think this was a bad idea, Brian? Well, it's yet. It's yet to be seen. Is yet to be seen. I think this has to be a good idea. <laughs> I'll tell you is why. Justified by her. That's right. By her children. Justified by her 
children? Is that yeah. That's right. So yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's right. Wisdom is justified by our children. And the reason this is necessary is because it's like Flammy's Flammy's frozen here on us. Uh, the reason this is necessary is because if they're not watching <laughs> us talk about how these things are not ultimately important, but what the scripture says is ultimately important, they're going to be watching other people who are going to talk about how these things are ultimately important when we know they're not. And so that's why I want you here. I, cause you are, what would you say? You said crisis in the church is a sin. That was years ago. You said that. Do you remember when you were talking about that? In the, the I do. Stuff? I do remember that. So apply yeah. that a little bit here. So that comes from, it was, um, so Luther used to quote Cicero who would say that, uh, necessity knows no law. That's the idea of it. And, um, and so the idea is that when you have you have a normal ordering of the world, it's great. Uh, there's 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 kind of there's family and there's people who are helpful and everyone has their vocation. But if there's an emergency, then order breaks down immediately. Order breaks down, and so there's no longer um, you. Know, I mean, just is here. I'm sitting here with you, and but if someone crashes into the into the tree in front of me, then suddenly. I'm not a father and a husband. I'm a, I'm a paramedic and a first responder. When, when there's a crisis, all sort of normal order breaks loose. And if you, so that's, is, is it helpful to know if you want to destroy order, if you want to wreck order and vocation, then you just have to create a crisis. So the normal order of the church, for example, like just as an example, the liturgical ordering of the church has to, if you want to break that, and do something new, then you just create a crisis. And so you have an evangelism crisis, the youth are leaving the church crisis, and then everyone's free to abandon the order that's there because of the, the crisis and so forth. So, so that's the way it works. And so Rama, remember Rama Manuel? Flammy knows who that is. I don't actually know who it is. But uh, he said that uh, never let a good crisis go to waste. It, it, that's the kind of, that's the, how the politics sort of taps into that idea of crisis. And one of the ways we can resist it is by saying, if Jesus sits on the throne, then there's no emergencies. At least there's no theological emergencies. There's no whatever. Well, uh, that's, that's where I'm with I mean, like, ne- I, I love the phrase, never th- let a good crisis go to waste, because I want to use every crisis to tell people that it's not a crisis because Jesus Christ is on the throne. Yeah. Uh, although I think Rahm Emanuel was not the first one to, to make that statement. Although maybe, maybe Fahmy wants to talk about Rahm Emanuel and South Chicago politics and how they've taken over everything everywhere. No, no, he's not up for that right now. No. So how about we just say hi to my wife and ask her, what's it been like watching, um, uh, the world, the last three and a half months as a mother, well, you know, four and a half months. How long has it been since March? Golly, five months. Six. <laughs> uh, well, first I want to say hi, everybody who's out there saying hello to me on YouTube. It's really great to see you guys here. Um, without everyone watching, it's kind of no fun to have a party show. So it's good to see everybody. And um, Pastor Wolf Mueller, what are you drinking? Well, can you see the, the, the Texas cup? <laughs> That's huge. Everything's big in Texas. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so, so, so that was it. That was it. There we go. I, 
the talker is going to jump back in and and play ping pong with everybody. What I want what I want to ask you though, honey, if you would talk about it because you I tried at the ta- dinner table generally to keep the conversation from bringing up names. I always wanted to have the political conversations be um, okay. Let's talk about the issue. Let's talk about the idea and try to avoid the orange man that makes all people yell about things. Um, and gradually over time, I found you just saying, "But, but." But and you wanted to defend President Trump. And as the person who's supposedly the demographic that will never vote for this man, I'm curious if you would like to share what brought you to that conclusion, because it certainly wasn't me telling you go vote for him. Right. I, I don't think that happened. I mean, I, I, I did. But, you know, well, first of all, why? Why am I the demographic that won't ever vote? For the him? idea is that uh, w- women will see him as crass, overriding, uh, kind of a sexual predator, uh, offensive. And so, you know, the middle class soccer mom, not that you're particularly a soccer mom, but the middle class white educated woman is supposedly going to just find him so unappealing. That's that's the idea. Okay. I think, right? I mean, is it, have you guys heard this, Brian or, or Brian? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, they, they're nodding. There you go. Loud nods, okay, everybody. So, yes. Um, for better or for worse, I like to listen to what people have to say and um, try to read between the lines of what they say. And I just couldn't get around what President Trump was saying um, and then what other people were saying about what he was saying. <laughs> That's a lot of saying. Um, so give an example. So, for example... Um, we'll just go to something more recent, uh, the debate night. I don't even know if I should bring it up. No, yeah, but do, please. It's over here. I didn't watch it. I just listened to Ben Shapiro's, um, overview of it. And I was struck by, yes, the men, both the men that were looking to be our leader were not, um, chivalrous. They were not gentlemanly. They didn't use debate tactic, but um, I couldn't help but think that, well, I couldn't help but observe that President Trump likes to tell it like it is, and it, he took the opportunity to say, you know what, I've had to put up with a lot of whispering in my ear, and I'm not going to let you get away with it tonight. And so he, though he used a bad tactic, if you slow down and try to listen to what he was actually trying to say, um, he was kind of calling out the elephant in the room and not letting letting it just get overlooked. Um, so it sounds like you're making a distinction between his style and his substance a little bit. Yeah. So Which, I don't approve of his style, but... Um, that reminds me of someone else I know you listen to, who I know Brian listens to, who is Al Mohler. And Al Mohler made a case for voting that involved the Christian conscience, which... Uh, did you listen to that on Monday, Brian? What did you think of that? Was it Monday I, did. I think that came I out? I did. Yeah, yeah I funny. couldn't believe it, because I remember Al Mohler talking distinctly about... I think it was Tuesday, he, and he endorsed Trump. And I remember him talking last time around how, how theologians and pastors ought to be able to endorse a person, but they ought not to. And he made that argument. And he'd also had said he, he didn't vote for President Trump in 2016. And and he, he had made the statement. It was amazing. He says, if I, I said that if I voted for President Trump, I'd have to uh, publicly apologize to Bill Clinton. And he said, I am this year. I am voting for Trump and I am not apologizing to Bill to Bill Clinton. It was, it was kind of an amazing sort of thing. I was 
I wasn't expecting it, and but he came out. Um, he came out with a strong endorsement. In fact, I think uh, President Trump uh, tweeted to Al Mohler. I saw that. Uh, President uh, Trump tweeted said, "Hey, thanks, Al Mohler, for the endorsement." Right, right. And if I if I recall, uh, getting back to kind of where we started with some of this, um, trying to get over here to Flammy, uh, it, it was pro life issues that really were the things that convinced. Al Mohler to take this position and what you were advocating right before Brian jumped in everyone else came in was that the reason why we can no longer, can no longer be silent as Christians, as Lutherans, LCMS Lutherans, Catholic Christians, whatever, on political issues is because of the issue of abortion. Yeah, that's that's definitely a big one because we value the lives uh, that God has created and uh, we have the fifth commandment to direct us in that direction. And the fifth commandment just doesn't apply to what I was talking about earlier, a, a purely spiritual sphere you know uh, good thoughts aren't going to do it uh, we need to speak openly and uh, without shame about the value of an infant's life and uh, increasingly we're finding ourselves having to speak about the value of the elderly hmm. and those people who are seen to have little or limited utility in this society and so this is a perfect opportunity for christians to speak boldly about life and uh, the value of that life and to encourage our countrymen in, in, uh, you know, to, to, to vote for those candidates and for those policies uh, that, uh, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a good society that gives everybody the chance to, to be born and to live and, you know, for God to make the decision as to when a life should end or not. Brian, Meredith? Yeah? Yeah, so it's more about what comes with the person rather than just the person who holds the office. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Absolutely. I mean, so, so Donald Trump, I remember having a, a conversation with a good friend of mine at Hope Lutheran Church. We were talking about who to vote for. And even though I didn't like speaking from the pulpit, you shall vote for so-and-so or so-and-so. Uh, you know, I, I had a pretty good relationship with this fellow, and I was convinced at that point that I was going to vote for Donald Trump. And it was a strange feeling because I knew he was a different kind of candidate than, I, than I've ever voted for before. And my friend uh, said to me, well, I, I can't see it. I can't be convinced. And I said, well, think about it this way. Um, Donald Trump has promised uh, that he will appoint conservative judges to the Supreme Court who will look hard at uh, the, the various legal decisions that have enabled uh, access to abortion in our country right now. And I said, as, as a Christian, I can swallow uh, the distasteful personality. Ah. Oh, great. On my Reuters map, Texas just turned blue. Uh, Wolf Mueller, what are you doing down there? Sorry. I, let me go check. Let me look outside. It's not there. It's not there on my political map yet, although Florida is looking blue right now. Uh, 50.3 to 48.9%. It's going to be probably close there all night. Pennsylvania is not reporting anything. I heard reports earlier today that uh, Pennsylvania was having voting machine issues in various areas, and the Twitter sphere kind of piped up about that. I'm not really sure. New Hampshire, which earlier was looking, leaning toward Trump, has now flipped to the blue. That just means some counties are coming in. Again, a lot of this is we're not even close to where this is really going to be, except for where they have called it. Kentucky is red, and West Virginia is red, and probably not any surprises there. But let's let's jump back to... Uh, I should have jumped to you. People could see my screen when I did that. But let's jump back to what, what you guys were talking about before that. Yeah. So in, in my conversation, I, I told him, well, uh, swallow the, the distasteful personality for the chance at getting those conservative judges appointed to help make a difference in the lives of, of many people. Uh, and I said that for too long, you know, the, the liberal justices that we've had in this country 
uh, have really legislated from the bench to push us in a direction that many of the citizens of this country never wanted to go. And that in Donald Trump could be a force for good in, in trying to change some of this. And so I convinced my friend, I think, and uh, he told me he ended up voting for Trump. And, and uh, you know, I'm pleased to say over the past four years, uh, I, I think Correct me if I'm wrong, but Trump has kept his promise. Yes. I saw a video of a African-American man, a black man, uh, an immigrant, he said, 40 years, an immigrant, and he's he's just raving. I've never seen anything like it. He does what he says. I'm like, yes, it is. I, I'm, I'm younger than this guy by a lot. I certainly have not lived his life. He clearly lived a very uh, challenging life compared to my own, and yet we both see the same thing. Here's a politician who, for all of his problems, and I'll just leave him at actual problems he actually does what he says and i'm not sure if that's well it seems to be breaking the system but what system is it breaking is it breaking the the post world war ii system of deep state uh, you know, i'm a weirdo uh, or, or is it is it breaking actual america right and some of my conversations with coons will show up later he's concerned about america's ability to withstand this long term that just societally we are going to fracture uh that the melting pot is going to be more of a Patrick Quilt like Canada by the time we're done. Um, there's a lot of options there for you guys to jump in on whatever you want. That's probably way out of Wolfman was like, where are we? What's going on? I need some Bible. Give me some Bible. <laughs> well, here, one of the things I wrestle with, I mean, I don't think I've uh, I've publicly discussed my own vote or ever. And I, and I, so and here's the reason why is I is that I, I think there, there's a way that that the um, the fervor with which we hold an opinion ought to be related to the importance of that particular opinion. Hmm. And in politics, that gets all out of whack. So, so just as an example, you might have someone who's just, they're utterly convinced politically, one way or another, pro- progressive and, and liberal and democratic or conservative and, and republican. Or whatever. They're, they're, they're very, very convinced about their political views they're less convinced about their theological views or their mm. views of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. The, there's a way that, and it's, and I've been thinking about that a lot. And this is kind of a skewed topic about how, you know, the person, the way you vote, it just counts as a vote. It doesn't matter how, like how much you care about it. <laughs> like I could, I could be like, ah, all right, I'll vote for this guy. And then someone else, their whole life is dependent on that guy. And it counts the same. So the fervor, it doesn't, is not represented in the, in the vote. But, but I worry that, that because people are so invested in their political opinions, and here we're talking political opinions, maybe not worldview thoughts and things like this, but political opinions, that you say who you voted yeah. because you have this political opinion that I don't like. So I, I mean, I honestly really wrestle with that quite a bit. So you guys can... Un- I think that's been that. the wrestle the LCMS has had. That's exactly why our history has been checkered on this matter is we're not really sure who we are when we speak in this way. Brian, you look like you want to jump in. Flammy, you want to jump in. I, I remember having this conversation with my converse, congregation this past weekend and telling them that my job isn't to tell you who to vote for. All I can do is to encourage you to act upon what you've been taught according to the Ten Commandments when you uh, deal with your neighbor in this world. You know, uh, the Ten Commandments define uh, love that's not just limited to the church, but love that we extend to even those people who aren't Christians, you know. And I mean, so I suppose in this setting, I'm probably a little more open about my political leanings. And uh, I'm not I'm not ashamed about that. You know, I, if somebody asked me, who are you, who'd you vote for? I don't think I'd have any particular shame to say, 
this candidate or that candidate, you know. Uh, I do wonder about what uh, Wolf Mueller said. Um, yes, I think you're right that people could put uh, too much importance on the, the political fervor uh, uh, or, or too much personal investment in it. Uh, and I wonder, like, is there s some way to, to figure out a balance in that? I mean, is it such a, in such a way that, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable in talking about uh, these things politically, but when it comes to my own home, I don't reflect a lot of my uh, political vitriol or conviction? I mean, what do you think about that? Uh, well, I think it's, it's a, it, uh, you know, it's a tricky thing is that you want to have the right opinion but you want to hold that opinion with this, with the appropriate degree of, I don't know, intensity. It's one of the reasons why Hans is so funny. Uh, our friend Hans, who's coming on later, right? Because he he'll have these, he'll go on Twitter and give these like ridiculously strong opinions about things that don't matter. You know, it's like, like the three songs from 1983 that are the best three songs ever wrote. I dare you to dispute me. Right. <laughs> right. That's right. And it's hilarious because he has this like really this fervor about the thing that does not matter. It's hilarious. And um, and it is hilarious. But we we're so tempted to do that, to kind of get carried away with our opinions. And Paul, I think more than anything else, just like money always tempts us to idolatry, politics tempts us to this sort of lo loss of proportion. Mm. Yeah, and, 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 and so this is, I, I think to, I think that's very good what you said. I mean, I even went so far as to say, like how you vote today isn't going to matter much. And and people like booed at me and, and that was okay. And I said, because <laughs> in the if we wanted the direction, if we wanted the direction of the country How, how often change, do you get booed in the pulpit? I'm just wondering. No, this wasn't, a, this is Bible study. It, booze oh, are more okay. acceptable than Bible study. We all know that. So, I, mean, I mean, so I said, if you want to change, like, the heart and the soul of this country, it's never going to be from the top down, government dictating to the rest of the country where we're going to be headed, Right. The hard work has to be done in the two other estates, in the estate of the family and in the estate of the church. If those two estates are weak and lacking, uh, then the then the heart and the soul of the government is going to be useless. Yeah. 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 I was thinking about that, which has me. So I've got a thing I've written down uh, to, to, to try to meditate on further. But this is old idea that. Um, that for the Christian, the the solution is never the ballot box, but the baptismal font. I just said that right there better than I've been. I've been trying to figure out how to say that all week. That's how to say it. The baptismal font is more important than the than the voting ballot because so you just figure uh, if you got someone someone like uh, Saul the Pharisee running around killing the Christians, and. Uh, and and you think that then the Christians up there in Damascus are like we need to pass a resolution that says that uh, killing Christians is illegal. It's not going to stop him, you know. If he's going to kill the Christians, he's going to kill the Christians. So the solution is always it, it's in it's in Saul's conversion that now the Christian church has be, has become safe. So that so that the Christian is most especially interested in the heart of the of their enemies. That to, that they would how does it, how do we pray it in the general prayer that they would be one with us and rejoice in and rejoice in the Lord's truth together with us. I wonder about 
Well, maybe maybe we can rethink of our involvement in the political sphere in this way. I mean, I, I mean, why do we have synodical conventions when, in fact, we know that the synodical conventions don't have much to do with the day to day life of a parish? Uh, it's it's because this is a place where a public, open uh, conversation can happen uh, to help set the tone of what where the real work is done in in the parishes, you know. And uh, so, you know, it's good to send your uh, delegates to to represent your circuit or whatever and for them to come and report back. And for this uh, conversation to to happen uh, creates unity among all of the churches. It's it's something that we do towards Concord. Uh, And it also helps the individual congregations and families to say, well, these are probably the things we have to work on. If If these are the particular challenges that are being met, not just by us, but by churches who are our brothers and neighbors in this country that we wouldn't otherwise know about, you know. Maybe there's an analogy between that and, and uh, how a Christian ought to consider their involvement in the in national government. I think so, too, especially because it forces us to the table where people disagree, which we just doesn't hardly ever happen, and less and less now in kind of social media land. We're all divided up into our thing. and so it, But it does force you back into the public square where you actually have to sort of face-to-face with the people who have different ideas and so forth, which is always going to be helpful. Yeah, and that, that's exactly right, Brian. That's why I think uh, talking like this, period, has to happen. I think that Christians, more than necessarily deciding who they're going to vote for by watching this show, need to see uh, social media either as a platform to harmony or as a platform to get off of. And that we are we got to be in the business of, of what they used to call ecumenical work. I don't mean uh, aligning political bodies in the churches, but I mean speaking into the darkness, the single light of truth that we know is going to unite the ultimate tribes uh, in, in Christianity. And Lutherans, we've we've carried this, <clears throat> this nugget, this gospel for very long. We've shattered it in certain ways. But I think in some ways we've guarded it for this time, for just this time. Uh, that it is to be unleashed upon the people, and that uh, to see uh, the platforms that we have both locally, politically, as a way to do that. So if your sheriff is going to your church, and not, he doesn't have to go out and like be the Lutheran sheriff while he's sheriff, but if he's a man in the community who is impacting that community with a life of godliness that reflects the scriptures, then that's going to have an impact on the community and Christians should do that right in some way. And that's local office. I don't see why national office would be any different. Um, I have to say again, I, I have, I did not vote in the last election. I was not a never Trumper, but I was almost a never Trumper. Uh, and it just has continued to amaze me how I have been, uh, radicalized i guess you could use the phrase um radicalized (laughs) to put a trump sign in my yard uh because of things like vice president pence's debate in which he spoke as a christian man and it was evident that this christian man has been working in politics for the good of humans for a long while and i just don't see why lutheran should be like well you shouldn't do that that just doesn't sound like what we said in the 1500s when we were asking that question Yeah, the yeah. princes were supposed to be godly, right? We were supposed to pray for their faith. I, I made this point after I once visited England for a day, and I visited my one. The one place I went to go visit was Westminster Abbey, and I had, and, it, and it was a matin service. And uh, I realized after we were praying for the Queen that every time the the Britons would say "God save the Queen," what they were talking about is her eternal salvation, her Christian soul, because she's a better queen for the country when she's a Christian. Mm, that's beautiful. 
There, I mean, that's an explicit command of St. Paul that we would pray for the rulers. You know, so this is not an this is this is not an option for the Christian. Do you want to pray for the person in, who's in charge? It's a, it's a command from the scriptures. And that goes even if they're not a president and they're a wicked tyrant who is an evil king who's doing everything bad. Uh, even if it's the bishop of Rome himself, you are to pray for his salvation first, right? And then second, uh, conversion for the good of, good of all people. You got thoughts to throw in there, my friend? Want to jump in? You don't? I think you do. She has so many good thoughts, but she, <laughs> she feels uh, that she would impinge upon us, uh, us theologians. Steal the thunder. Meredith, go ahead. Steal the thunder. Um, I guess one thought I did have is um, how can you, I mean, I know you guys have been talking about praying for our leaders, but how, do you have any words of wisdom or um, spiritual fatherness that you can share for us when we don't appreciate what our president is doing. Yeah, again, uh, when we pray for our, our president uh, and other elected officials and uh, and leaders, uh, yeah, sometimes we're praying for them, uh, that they make good and godly decisions. And when they don't and they pursue ungodly courses of action, uh, especially that uh, affect us, I mean, I think that we, we pray against those things, right? And uh, and the key word here is that we pray that the Lord would turn their hearts. You know, so often when when it comes to the matter of the human heart, it's it, it, you know our our, our uh, estimations of our own abilities to shout at someone and to convince them are are greatly exaggerated. <laughs> and it, but in fact, uh, the subtle means uh, and the effective means of prayer are much better at that because God changes the heart. You know, and so to to acknowledge those things in prayer, uh, to uh, pray that the Lord would would uh, turn their hearts of our enemies. Uh, just like, you know, like Wolfmuller was saying in the old collects, uh, that's the kind of language that they use. The, 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 I think Luther talks about this in the large catechism. Meredith is great. He says that every day we pray for daily bread and the rulers should rule in such a way that that prayer of the church is for them and not against them. <laughs> So that their job is to help provide for our good and, and that we would all have daily bread. And if the rulers are preventing the Lord's generous care for our bodies uh, and everything else, then they find themselves on the wrong side of the Lord's prayer and we're praying against them. How's that working so in New Mexico? Rulers... How's that working in New Mexico? That's what I want to know. Uh, we, you know, I have to say <laughs> that the prayers of the Christians have been answered at least where we live. I mean, think about it. I, like here in, in Roswell, we are hearing all these things that come down from Santa Fe, the governor's frustration with uh, these these churches. And and uh, thanks be to God, I, I think according to our prayers and uh, for at least the sake of the prayers of a few people, uh, we've been able to continue to worship uh, as as our Lord has commanded us, you know, without any worldly repercussions other than just somebody in another place saying, I'm displeased. And that's fine. I can live with that. And there we go into the quiet nether because yeah. I'm busy. I'm muttering, hey, I'm, the, I'm muttering the chat. I'm muttering the chat. And so I'm not ready to jump in like I should be. Um, so I have to go put some cats in bed and stuff. I'll try to come back later. Yes, yeah, right. Okay, so we'll say goodbye. to. Hold on. Let me get you just through the shot there, Flammy. Um, pastor Brian Flammy, uh, tell us what congregation you're the pastor of out there. In Roswell, New Mexico. You got to say all that again. 
Manuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico. Manuel Lutheran Church, Roswell, New Mexico. This is me the Patriot. If you haven't seen his video from when he was first saying, we will take the Lord's Supper no matter what the government says, you got to check that out on the channel. Otherwise, we'll, uh, yeah, come back later if you can. We'll be here just chilling. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, that, that's that. Flammy the Patriot. That's what I called him I in the video. That nickname. I, I, I made it up. It's, it's better cool, than Flambo, right? Flambo. <laughs> you said it out loud so we can repeat it now? I asked him one time, hey, what did they call you in the military? He wouldn't tell me for three days. Hey, come on, come on, tell me. And one day he says, Flambo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Flambo. Ever since then. No, uh, we'll, we'll see you on the other side. I'm going to hop to uh, the desktop here for just a second and uh, push us over here. Let's see here. I want and my picture is still taking too much of this you guys can't see the whole map give me one second oh come now come now let us reason together computer and almost there so many buttons something fun to talk about while you're doing while i'm doing all these things all right so this kind of lets you see a little bit of what the early results are again you can't trust these things too much um although when they call the whole state i guess you can so vermont and Virginia already called for Biden, as I mentioned earlier. Um, that's just part of Virginia right there, isn't it? Yeah, that's part of Virginia. Uh, West Virginia, Kentucky, look, they've been called for Trump. Otherwise, we just have a lot of reporting coming in. Florida looks tight, 49.9% to 49.3% with 80% of expected vote in. What I got to re- – I wonder, do you remember, Brian, that like – hold on. I got to get back to the right wow. program here. Uh, I think this has been the last two, if not the last – three elections like this one county in florida is like the last place reporting every year and they're like four days late do you know what i'm talking about Does that sound yeah familiar? yeah yeah is that miami date and that's where they lost had the sound. Chads that's not good brian we lost your sound there yeah let's see really? here test test i got you muted uh, yeah can you hear I me i don't got you muted now I got that's you. where the hanging brian, chads were nope how did that happen I don't know. Oh, Can you hear me? On. I'm sending audio. I know that for sure. Well, then. Let's see your Skype. Okay, so should I tell everybody? Yeah, you talk to somebody about something right now. Today. Yeah, why not? Well, I figure out what's going on here. <laughs> um, let's see. What did we do today? Well, I spent some time putting together our new grill. That's that's that that's a nice thing. That's a nice thing. Currently, though, it's not put together. It's upside down on the garage floor. It was a really beautiful day, though, so we were able to be outside. Oh, somebody can hear him on the chat. Oh, they hear him. Just we don't hear him. We can't hear him. Okay, that's ah, odder than I can odd. tell. I can tell so, you guys everything I want to about Jonathan, and he has no idea what I'm talking about right now. That's this good. Is like an you ideal just keep setup. talking. Um. <laughs> Microphone uh, muted. Oh. I don't even know what to say about it. <laughs> I'll call back. At least they're watching. Uh, Brian, you just you just talk. Uh-oh. He just went away. He went away. I was going to say, Brian, you talk. Oh, I know what happened. It's because of a call from Flammy. So when Flammy went away, it shut down the, the call. I bet you that's what it was. Mm-mm. Skype is really bad. Can you hear me now? It is a bad, bad program. Burr, burr, burr. Brian, can I hear you now? Nope. Can you hear me oh, now? Nope, that's okay. not what it was. Oh, this is great. Well, they can hear him. So you just yeah, you just talk, can. Brian, and I'm going to go until I hear you. I'm going to keep trying to figure out what to do until I hear you. 
Uh, let's see. What can we talk about? We were talking about praying for the leader. I had a whole list of things to talk about that I made notes on. i got to pull it out of the oven. And I can, and I can do it. Uh, oh, this. I think this is important. Because we're talking because we were talking earlier about this matter of perspective. In other words, what how do we keep our opinions in the right perspective? How do we grab a hold of our our thoughts and kind of keep them in uh, in proper proportion? So how can it be that that I care about Jesus as much as Jesus ought to be cared about, and I care about my neighbor as much as they ought to be cared about, and I care about the Dallas Cowboys as much as they ought to be cared about. In other words, the importance of the thing is matched up to the perspective. And I think this is one of the things that gets really out of whack in politics. And, and the result is that, that idolatry, that I began to fear, love, and trust something more than God, or even this, more than it ought to be feared, which is, which is really quite dangerous. And if we, if we put our, if the things of this world become out of proportion, this is amazing. If, the, if, the, if, we, if we love and care for the things of this world more than we ought to love. Do, 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 do. Can't see, can't see. Just says, it seems like we're, we're on here. And hey, everybody, this is really not the way it was meant to go. Oh, Hans Feeney's calling, though. That'll be fun. We'll have him jump right in. Maybe you can hear us. Maybe you can't. He doesn't know we all just fell apart. So, hey, Hans Feeney, welcome back to the show, uh, if he shows up. Let's see. I got uh, repeating audio. I got to get rid of here, get rid of that. That might kind of fix it. I can hear you. I cannot see you. Um, And there you go. Welcome. We just had a whole big conflux where Wolfmuller couldn't be heard and then could be heard and then vanished and all sorts of stuff. So I'm going to see if I can get him back here in just a moment. Wolfmuller. I rebooted the whole computer. Stream was down. Blah, blah, blah. Let's see. Add. Does that work? There we go. Colin Bryan. Do you hear an echo? An echo. A little bit. That is. Oh, David Price is calling too. That's great. Here, he's going to hop in. Maybe. So, how you been, Hans? Why don't you chat? We just. Oh, my goodness. This has been a catastrophe. It was a great first hour. We had everything working fine, and then Flammy left, and everything fell apart. Um, connect on their microphone. Oh, my goodness. Can you guys hear me at all? I can't hear David. Hans, can I, can you, nope, nope, everything has crashed. Dear heavens, what shall we do? All right. So I think the world can hear you, but they can't hear me. I'm going to turn myself off again. Test, test, we are back, uh, and we'll see how long we stay back. We'll see if Skype comes back, but I'm back, at least for now, and it seems that my sound might be working, um, even though there's nobody here, nobody here but you and me and nobody. So let's see if we can propagate some links. This will probably take a while to figure it out. Uh, those of you who are seeing me already, if you can get this shared in Discord, if you can get this shared wherever you can, I'm going to try to... 
Uh, join the call with these two guys. Oh my goodness, we'll see if this even works. Uh, Hans Feeney and... Can you guys hear me at all? Yes, I can hear you now. Oh, Skype is the worst. I hate Skype forever. I'm going to start a Zoom call. Hold on. This is just ridiculous. This is ridiculous. I think Ecamm has lost me forever, too. Let's go Zoom. Z-O-M. Zoom call. Zoom call. Maybe. Maybe I'll start a Zoom call. There goes Zoom. So I will continue to attempt to talk to you. Well, you guys, if you could try to rebuild our chat room. We have so much good going on. It's so depressing. And yet I know that at the end of the day, this has got to have a good reason. Uh, 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 it's just to make you laugh, right? Uh, you are using computer audio. Invite participants. Copy invite link. All right, Hans and, uh, and David, I'm putting a link into the Zoom chat for this thing here. This two are into the the Skype chat for a Zoom right. chat where if that will ever work, there we go. You guys can join uh, there. I'll try to get that out in the emails as well from earlier, and then when you guys come in, we'll get we'll get the desktop going with Zoom. It's already there. Here it is, and it's the it's the hack way. We're hacking. We're hacking live. Once upon a time. Um. So let's see here. I'll be back in just a moment. Maybe. <laughs> Here it goes. Please? No? Nothing? Nothing? Admit David Price. Okay, we'll just admit David Price. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. gentlemen can i please have your attention i've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story and i need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen Yeah. 
cleanse the nostrils in a good way. Yeah. Brian, I'm gonna be honest with you, that smells like pure gasoline. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. All right, so here we are. We got David. We got Hans. I don't know if I can get you guys to all show up on the screen at the same time. I think Zoom will make it so that whichever one of us is talking uh, will be seen. In the meantime, now that I figured out this sound issue, I am going to see if I can get Skype working again while you guys say, hey, what's up? Um, hello and, and welcome to life. That's David Preuss. He's a pastor down in Haiti working at the seminary. And then we got Hans Feeney, who I can't make Zoom show you, but he's up in the corner with me way up high on this ridiculously hacked attempt at a live stream. Evening, guys. <laughs> what were you guys talking about that entire time I was doing nothing? You're good. You're good. Are you guys still on Skype by any chance? All right, cool. Well, all right. Uh, would you mind, David Preuss, get out of Zoom, try calling me on Skype. I'm going to keep talking to Hans, and we'll see if we can pop it back in the other way. All right, cool. Oh, my goodness. 22 people watching. We had Hans, we had 360 people watching, like right before you called. I know, it's brutal. Um, oh, but nobody else can hear you. Well, we'll fix that when Skype comes, I think. Hang tight. Oh, and there's Brian. He's calling what? Incoming call. Brian. Oh. Skype is an evil and sad reality. What are you thinking about the election, Hans? Where are you at? You're in Illinois. It doesn't matter, right? I didn't know that. Where, what part of St. Louis? How long ago? How long ago was that? Right, right, right. Well, I mean, so what What do you mean by that? Everything is okay. What do you think might not be all right? And then no one else can hear you besides me right now, which is unfortunate. We almost have. Yeah, <laughs> and Dave, I can hear you. I oh, can Dave hear is you here. Too. Oh, wait, okay, okay. Hey, Hans, call back on <laughs> Skype. Call back on Skype, man. Let's. Let, it's going to work. It's going to work eventually. Wait, what am I on now? You're on the Skype, David, on the Skype. All right, so let's get that. Yeah, I can, I, from my own personal experience, I know that David is not that tech savvy. Whatever. I've done everything well it's just <laughs> world will right, see I'll... some of it and not the rest of it so all right and so i thought uh, yeah, i don't know if i want to i want to go to certainly so i thought and then i was wondering why people, why do people care so much why are all the people waiting um, to in line something that not, not going, their vote's not actually going to make it. 
I think it's, it's just so much that you want to be a part of it. You want to feel like you you did your your part to be a part of that civic process. You bring in all of your anxiety and all your baggage with into the voting booth, and uh, you know whether you you're voting because you think Trump is the greatest guy in the world or the best guy in the world, whether you like Biden and you know, kind of all the stuff um, that you're. Yeah, it's that you're. It's more of a kind of a coping mechanism for, for powerlessness in the world. Uh, really Were you able to pick up on any of that, Brian? I had some of that bring yeah. up on me. Yeah, I got it all, the whole thing. So sh- go on, go on it. Let it respond. So I, don't, I don't have, I don't have an answer to that. I just think it's, it's interesting to me. Um, people that that voting is, I mean, um, in in terms of in a sort of a utilitarian sense, it's uh, or from an individual sense, it's it's um, theater. Because your vote is not actually going to determine who the president of the United States is, but you want to you want to take part in the theater, uh, and there's probably a theological application there to that. I don't know what it would be. I'd have to think about it for a moment. Um, but I so I think people I don't know I think people get too up in arms about this stuff. Uh, you do the best you can. You vote for the sake of your neighbor. Uh, vote for the sake of preserving the life of, uh, of your neighbor. Uh, your his well-being, especially for the unborn, uh, but then you know beyond that, you you leave everything in God's hands. And I mean, this is the way I look at things. I would like for President Trump to be elected because I think that would be better for uh, the Christian Church in terms of uh, just uh, of, of Christians just simply being able to worship according to their consciences, uh, and it would be better, uh, hopefully, long term for uh, for the rights of the unborn. Um, but if Biden wins and if things go as badly as some people predict they will, which I don't think would be the case, but if they do and, and we end up seeing a lot of persecution of Christians and shutting down of our institutions for refusing to abide by the new, um, the new dogma of, of, hum- of, of sexuality and human identity, we definitely deserve it. So uh, there, we definitely deserve to be ground into a fine paste. Uh, and uh, can you, and can you explain with, that a little bit more? Like, like I not that I disagree necessarily that I deserve to be ground into a fine paste, but I'd like to hear the the details of that. Are you talking about like corporate guilt? Yeah, I mean, Americans spend like five billion dollars a year on pornography, and we put a million of our, our children uh, to death every year, and uh, and we've had Christians not been engaged in. Uh, in building the kind of society that we all have and we let ourselves be corrupted by hatred and prejudice and bigotry and cruelty and ugliness and nastiness and, and a whole host of things. And um, so, you know, I don't, so it's kind of one of those things where I don't want the, I don't want the church to face persecution. I, I don't have a, I don't have an overly romantic view of persecution. I think the people who, the people who always tell you how great persecution is for the church are always the people that are probably going to fold immediately the second that persecution comes. Uh, so I don't have I don't have an overly romantic view of persecution in the church because like as much as people say oh persecution is great for the church uh, because it, it strengthens people's faith it also drives a lot of people out of the church you know like the Muslim conquests of you know northern Africa and the Middle East and stuff were not were in some ways great for the church but not great in a lot of ways and that a lot of people were driven into unbelief. Um, but we uh, we are a nation of sinners, um, you know. We I mean I don't know. It was like when uh, when the whole COVID thing started happening, and 
and a whole bunch of people who never came to church were furious that churches were being shut down. You know, and then you go, all right, well, maybe God's judgment, it, maybe this is God's judgment for you to wake up and realize uh, what's important in life. So who knows? It's like the people who protest that the Ten Commandments aren't in the in the courthouse and they don't know what the Ten Commandments are, you know? They're like, <laughs> right, yeah, uh, something about stealing. Right, yeah. Yeah, we want, yeah, or the people who are upset that there's not prayer in public school who don't pray with their children. So David oh. Price is down here uh, in in the corner. He hasn't piped up yet. Where are you at, David? You Are you in Haiti right now? Dominican Republic. Dominican Republic. No, I'm in Dominican Republic. And that's why the, my, is that why the internet is the other a little, side of the island. A little uh, tight. Dominican Republic. Ah. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, you came back there a little bit. So how how does the election impact you at all? Does it? Does anybody care? Oh man, yeah. Um, you know, I see things from uh, from an expat's perspective now, having lived here for uh, four years now. I see what the world is outside of the United States. I see what it is outside of the suburbs. You know, I know we have our inner cities. And we have uh, hard times in the United States. But, I mean, I guess I'm looking at it from the perspective of, I mean, it's culturally, it's what it is. It's Latin America. And um, here we have about 70% poor. Um, I have students from Cuba, colleagues from Venezuela, um, Venezuela was the fourth largest, most powerful economy in the world in our lifetime. And uh, with the largest oil reserve in the world, and it is thoroughly communist and the people are starving. Hmm. Hmm. This is real. And I know that United States has a lot of money and I know this, you know, this, these things don't happen overnight, but they can happen in 20 years. And uh, so I, I for, from a citizen's perspective, Using my 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 reason, my 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 civic, uh, I guess that's the that would be the civic righteousness, right? Um, I just I, I see this as a very uh, I, I take my 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 uh, duty as a citizen very seriously. Hey Brian, you had a question there a moment ago for him. I think David was talking this morning in the worldwide Bible class about a, a reason. That we have to we have to apply our reason to our politics, if for no other reason the Lord has established that so that it keeps our reason out of our theology. And I thought it was a brilliant point. I can't wait to hear him talk about more about that. Yeah, uh, it, 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 I got this from Philip Melanchthon actually from his I think fifteen thirty five and and fifteen forty three his third and fourth updates of his uh, Loki. Uh, it was Loki communis, and then later Loki teologici. And he used this category of the the um, the law, the civil law, which of course is given to the ungodly uh, to restrain evil. But he but he also said it says the same civil law that our uh, potentates, our 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 govern, our um, what do you call them? Uh, our princes are supposed to establish is for the sake of the gospel. It, it serves as kind of a pedagogue to Christ. And it, it's interesting. I got to think about that, and I thought, you know, a lot of that is because you kind of need to ground your reason in something that is not theology, so that because reason wants to dominate. 
That's it's it's the nature of reason. It wants to dominate. So what is it going to dominate? Well, keep it in the civil in the in in the in the, in the civil arena, so that it doesn't go dominating God, and stipulating to God what He's going to say and what He's going to do. Um, there are two different kind of conversations you can have. You can have the conversation that Cain and Abel are having with God. Abel before the throne of God. Uh, the, the, God hears his blood cry out for vengeance. And we, we see this in politics. This is the, the, the cry of the poor, the cry of the oppressed. And it's a cry for justice. And the Old Testament has much to say about this. But then you also have Cain. And Cain is like the first guy who actually carries on an argument with God. Adam and Eve don't. They just blame. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. But Cain actually has a rational conversation with God. And um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, Steinbeck's the, the, the Grapes of Wrath. There's a, there's a famous quote in there where, where he, he, he interprets this, uh, uh, where God says that you know evil is crouching at your door and you must rule over it. And he interprets this to be, you shall rule over it. Uh, and of course, with this teaching, his Pelagianism and all that. But in the civil, even if Steinbeck's right, in the civil area, we need to contend with God rationally. We we demand virtue. We demand justice in our in in, in this you know temporal uh, uh, you know this period that we live in. And God gave that to Cain. Um, and uh, I think. Today, too, we need to ground our reason in uh, civic virtue, civic righteousness, so that we don't then go putting our trust in that. And that's the problem. And, you know, and, and this is my problem with a lot of the, 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 the political teaching that comes from the left, as they call it. It's, it's a religious element. They teach people to trust, fear, and trust in the government. And this is unacceptable from a Christian perspective. You must reason. That's that's an area to reason with with the government. You put your trust in God. Um, and so it's kind of two things. You put your reason there so that you don't put, but you put your reason there too so that your trust is then freed to be, uh, to be solicited by the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, where he then convinces us that he is our... Uh, He's our Lord. He's he's our Savior. He he's he's greater than the princely rulers and all that. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm kind of thinking about it out loud, but I, I'd like to investigate this a little bit more. I think I have a beginning in Philip Melanchthon. That reminds me of um, a book by Gene Veith uh, called "Loving God with All Your Mind," in which he makes the case that the Christian should be able to run circles around the rest of the world in terms of our use of reason, because we believe in a reasonable Creator, whereas the rest of the world must eventually descend into chaos through its own uh, irrationality. It has no reason for reason, and uh, so yeah, I love that. Is that what you were looking for, Brian and Hans? Feel free to jump. Feel free to jump in. I just wanted to say that. Brian looks like he is recording uh, in an office for like a home study while he's writing a book. And I look like I'm in a recording studio. And, and David looks like he's filming a hostage video. It's kind of good. That's good. <laughs> so that's, I liked what David said, but I just wanted to make fun of uh, his poorly lit video. Hans, how come you – I haven't mentioned your, uh, the great new talent you've discovered for your recent Lutheran satire video. What was that recent talent? 
I don't know. The I rap. <laughs> I didn't do the no. That was a couple of that was a couple of videos ago. I didn't do the rapping in the in the Diet of Worms one. That was Angela Lansbury. No, no, um, no I was thinking about uh, what is that guy's name? Who I was? I forgot. You were Reverend uh, Ernst. Mar Reverend Martin Augsburg Ernst. Yes. So now someone pointed out, I think this, that I have now, a, what's that website with the movie stars on it? That I have the Internet there? Movie Database, imdb.com. Are you on there now? Apparently, from my yeah, part nice. in Lutheran. Excellent. Congratulations. Your Screen Actors Guild card will be arriving any moment. Fish doesn't know what we're talking about. Do you know I had a... No, a, yeah, a I do. You called me just to tell me all about how amazing it is that Hans reached out to you to be in, in the show, and, and it was a big deal. Just I, I'm throwing a map up on the on the screen so everybody can see. Right now, we're, we're midway through the night. you got a lot of the Midwest uh, Bible Belt area. Sorry, not Midwest. Eastern Bible Belt area looking like it's going for Trump, but Texas is leaning blue. I don't know what to make about that. That is kind of scary. Um, Florida is leaning red, so that's an interesting thing there. Um, just for what all that's worth, you guys will go back talking about the real stuff. I don't remember what the real stuff was. What were we talking about? It was about? Brian Something being famous because of Lutheran satire. Oh, yeah. It's big time. Yeah. That's why yeah, we're he here did, tonight. Brian did a very good job. He was the best part of the video. <laughs> yeah. Hans says, just, just be yourself. Just be yourself. Uh, Conan the Destroyer has a question for Hans. He even paid me five bucks to say, he says, Hans, where can I find Reverend Martin Augsburg Ernst's church? <laughs> You find it in a lot of places. Uh, just uh, search recent graduates from the Fort Wayne Seminary. Um, by the way, Conan the Destroyer was not nearly as good as Conan the Barbarian. And it doesn't really even make any sense because Conan the Barbarian takes place in like prehistory, takes place, you know, like like in Ur, you know, that that type of right, right, uh, era. Right. And and Conan the Destroyer is like. Like medieval fantasy, it does. There are castles. It just doesn't make any sense. So, so what's There's the relation weird... of all this to Red Sonia? Is what I want to know because TBS Red... growing up, that was on every summer. Yeah. Uh, I think up. Red Sonia was, I think, actually supposed to be a third Conan movie, but they had some sort of issue with uh, acquiring the rights of it, so they had to turn him into some non-Conan character, even though he was basically the same. I get it. I've that never seen sense, Red Sonia. It was, um, like, it was so like as a kid, I had like what fifteen cable channels that had something on in the summer, and it was like Braves baseball, Cubs baseball, and Red Sonia. I mean, they—I they, don't know why it was on. I saw. Uh, I think I've seen at least part of the original Clash of the Titans at least five hundred times because that played every Friday <laughs> and Saturday night on TBS when I was growing up. Yeah, I, I gotta say that the crucifixion scene in uh, Conan is is one of the best, really. I mean, and he bite when he bites the head off of the, the or he kills the bird that's chewing on him. Yeah, it's that's great. Sweet. I, I, yeah, I wish I could use Conan with uh, Cole the Conqueror. I can never keep him straightened out. Cole is actually, I think, in the books, is actually Conan's father. But I saw the movie with Kevin. Are Sorkel they actually and... related? I I what? can't believe how yeah, dirty you guys yeah. are. I think that's supposed to be uh, Conan's father. Uh, there was supposed true. to be a third movie, Conan the King, and it never happened. Let's make that happen, Arnold. Yeah, Arnold could. He could do it, for sure. Uh, so I, I'm pretty sure this is actually why people tune in tonight, sadly. They, they want to be distracted from the rest of it. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Hans, I want to know what your goal is with Twitter. What are you doing there? I follow you. You do well. I retweet what you do. It is interesting, but I can't quite figure out what you're doing, and then and Brian brought up earlier in the hour before you came on, like how mostly what you do is make very significant assertions about culture that no one can debate, even though 
maybe some people might try. But no one can, and we all know, because you've told them they can't, and then they try, and then you show that they can't afterwards. But what's the, what's the agenda there? Okay, so here's how I approach Twitter, um, is I log on, and then I have ADD, and then that, that's what happens. So I just, uh, I have thought pop to my mind. And sometimes they're about culture, and sometimes they're about how angel hair is a form of pizza. Uh, and sometimes they're at the same time. Sometimes they will. There's not a... Not trying to build anything. I, I I just um I just say things that pop into my head. <laughs> I uh, I, I was right. making the theological point, Hans, that that we have this great danger of of holding our opinions in a disproportionate degree of the importance of the topic, and that that is your that is the fire that you light every day on Twitter to have this ridiculously strong about opinion about things that ought not oh, to be held. Yeah, well, that no, that is one of my principles in life. Is that um, so? The most important things in life are the things where we need to be patient with people and where we need to be um, calm and thoughtful and uh, willing to listen. Um, so you know, when it, so that's that's certainly theology. We need to be be patient with people and help uh, kind of guide them through you know their, their false presuppositions and things of that nature. If that's the problem you're dealing with, um, but people people get negative energy built up. And my theory is that you can't not have negative energy. It's, it's there. It's, it has to be released somehow. So my theory is if you release it in ways that don't matter, that if, it's like if you have a hand grenade and you, you know, it's going to explode and you just detonate it in the air where, where nobody is. So, so my, my approach is to have unreasonably strong opinions about things that don't matter to get all of that negative energy out of your system. So, you know, so that I will, yeah, so I'll argue with people about which Conan, the bar, which Conan movie is the best and have very strong opinions about it. Or uh, one, another thing that annoys me is how, it's an election night. We count Grover Cleveland as two presidents because he served non-consecutive terms. And that irritates me because he's only one person. Uh, and if we're going to count terms, then we need to count every guy who serves two terms twice. Uh, so I have unreasonable opinions about that. And then and then that way that that kind of uh, releases all your negative energy so that when a Mormon denies the Trinity to you, uh, you can you you don't have that sense of rage built up, and you can be calm and thoughtful. So Hans Denise uh, is writing, and she asks if you would say something in Horace's voice. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 Horace voted for Joe Jorgensen. <laughs> Horace is a libertarian. That would make <laughs> sense. Never wins. <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh man, that's fantastic. Horace is, uh, for those who are listening, hey, what do we have, like 10 people listening now? Actually, we're doing pretty good. We are up at 249, 251 viewers oh, at the oh, moment. Nice. Yeah. That's lovely. Uh, so Horace is um, a combination of Uter from The Simpsons and the Great Gazoo from The Flintstone. I don't know. Uh, so, I can see that. So I can see that. You, you remember The Great Gazoo? He was the little green alien who would pop up on Fred Flintstone's shoulder, and he'd call him Dum Dum. Uh, and then Utah's would always—he'd run around and say, "Oh, but don't chase me! My belly is full of chocolates." So it was the kind of that combination of that 
jovial German thing, and then the um, uh, the condescending uh, thing. That's sort of where that came from. Uh, ben Hedlund has more questions for you, Hans. Uh, he says oh. to ask you what the civil penalty is for people who leave carts in the parking lot. What it should be. The civil penalty for parking lot lever carters. No, no, none. Absolutely, no, no penalty because they don't have enough corrals in the parking. When you have to walk like thirty feet to put your cart away, uh, if they want you to put the cart away that bad, build a corral. There's ridiculous. You don't need all of those spots. I have no, no penalties for that. Well, I'm, I'm offended that someone would think that I was such a, a legalist, uh, such a fascist. That I would think that uh, besides, if people can grab a cart from the, th- it's more fun that way. You feel cooler when you grab a cart that's just hanging out uh, in the in the parking lot. Uh, Claire, do they even have out- shopping carts in the Dominican Republic? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, they do. And and, and you have people, um, they all leave them in the parking lot. Good. You know, it, it 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 kind of annoys me. I'll be honest, that people leave <laughs> carts in the parking lot. It's just basic responsibility. You Aldi don't have to figure make that out. All they figure that out just takes a quarter. Just takes a quarter. Well, hold on. The I'll corrals are yeah. the corrals are in the parking lot. So functionally, what is the difference? <laughs> you already can't. I mean, it's just you're. There are already no, right. spots, right? You and the other point. thing you is, Hans, I have changed my my view on this. Over <laughs> Uh, I'll come back to you, Kitty. It used to annoy my. It was my passion that converted you. What I wonder is how how do they make it to where if you go across the place, it actually locks the wheel? Like there's no batteries or how does that physically happen? That how far have you been removing? Have you been taking the shopping carts home? I've never. I've never done that. I don't know how. I used to. I used the shopping cart to deliver the Sunday paper. And I honestly, I don't remember where that shopping cart came from, but obviously someone took it from a from the lot of a of a of a grocery store. But somehow it ended up in my hands, and it, it came in very useful to deliver the Sunday paper. I used to have a paper out when I was a kid. This is a great story. I'm really excited to tell you guys this story. Right. I had a paper out. Oh man! Hold on. At what level do I need to set my expectations? Yeah, I know. Uh, I've already over, I've already oversold it. So, um, but I'm going to plow through with the story anyways. So, I had a paper out when I was a kid, when I was about 10 year, 10, 12 years old, something like that. I lived in Connecticut, had a paper out, and um, hold on, I, Hans, Hans, I'm going to interrupt I, you. I'm going to interrupt you, Hans, 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 Hans. I'm interrupting you, David Price. Are you there? So, oh, Hans, yeah. every yeah, time you t- did you just turn your camera off or something? By any chance? I did. I, I'm, 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 I don't want to offend people. I'm smoking a cigar. Well, don't worry about it because I'm putting the camera on Hans anyway. Every time you do that, it sends Hans into a clip and like the first minute of his talking is clipped off. Everyone complains about it and he finishes right after the punchline's over. So right. I, it's not your fault. It's not the cigar's fault. It's Skype's fault. You keep smoking your cigar in good Christian freedom. Right. And Hans, tell your story again because no one wants to miss this one. It's so important. You mentioned before it's like the most overwhelmingly important <laughs> thing ever. Here we I go. can't wait. Yep. Yeah. I don't Hurry want up. to tell the story now because the moment has passed. <laughs> the short, version, the short version of the story is this. Uh, I had a paper out um, on the weekend editions 
I hated how thick the papers were because they were really heavy in my Paperboy bag or they wouldn't fit in my bike basket. So, so I would just dump the ads out and throw them in the trash and then take them to people. And then one time I had a guy who stopped me. He was like, can I get one that has the ads in it? And I realized, oh, I should probably, uh, I should probably stop doing that. That is how that was it. it. I went to, when I went to, when I moved to college in, in Fort Collins, Colorado. My freshman year. This is my shopping cart story. We went to the sh- we went to get some stuff at the grocery store, and we filled up a shopping cart with all sorts of junk. Me and my roommate Bill, and then we walked out of the we walked out of the grocery store, and we realized that we didn't have a car. We rode our bikes to the grocery store, and we had the shopping cart full of junk. So we went back inside and bought a, a bundle of twine. And I tied the shopping cart to my bike like a trailer and rode back to our dorm room with it. And the and then the result was we had this fantastic laundry basket that everyone used. They would come into our dorm room and grab our shopping cart to use for their laundry. It was great. That's stealing. <laughs> That's a good story. That's stealing. Hey, we got a real question here, by the way, as I mentioned, as I call it, Wolf Miller for, you know, his sins of his youth. Um, this is a real one, though, and a little bit serious. Kitty says this. I have a serious question. I'm a teenage devout Lutheran, and I w- really want to have a job with the church, but I have ASD. Now, i got to confess some ignorance. I'm not sure I know what that is, but capital ASD, and come off as cold, she says. So I don't think I'll make—oh, it must be a he. I don't think I'll make a good pastor. Are there any professions here for me? So someone thinking about church work, someone who has some issues perhaps with a, a social uh, interactions, wanting to know how to serve the church in the future, and— I mean, I, I don't know. Church work. Is that even a thing in 20 years? That's that's my crazy. Who wants to jump in? It, I don't know what ASD is either, but in my experience, there's a great uh, vocation if you love theology but are really bad with people, and it's called being a seminary professor. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. Do we have any seminary professors on the call like like that? that? Antisocial <laughs> disorder, ASD? What that is, must uh, be what it is. I think that's right. Yep. I, I don't know. Autism, autism spectrum. Okay. Uh, autism. Okay. I, I, think I mean, I... No, go ahead, David. No, I think there's a place... You know, that, that's the thing about the body of Christ. And I learned that because I have three different jobs, and it gets overwhelming. And, and what's overwhelming is that I want to do one of them well. And I think, you know, that's the way the body of Christ works. You have gifts. Those gifts are... Um, they're natural. God gave them to you. And a, a Christian, when you're a Christian uh, and you love Jesus and you want to serve the kingdom, the Holy Spirit converts these gifts into spiritual gifts and can make them to serve the church in ways that you don't know. So do what you do well. Do it unto the Lord and um, get to know your pastor, support your pastor and see how you can help your pastor. Your pastor has a lot of work to do, and he can't do everything. So I'm sure you have some gifts that that uh, that um, that he can use and, and, and put to use. Um, perception, there are things, you know, uh, you know it, 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 working in the library, for instance, is something that there's always work that needs to be done. Um, and um, yeah, so don't don't think that because you lack certain social uh, um capacities that God can't use you and that God can't use you also in a, in a capacity that serves the ministry and helps the pastor to proclaim more clearly and reach more people. Um, 
So pray that God may use your gifts. That was a wonderfully sweet answer. I love that. Yeah, I, I think we have a tendency to, um, anytime a fellow shows any interest in theology, we have, a, we have a tendency to kind of try and shove them headfirst into the seminary, uh, which oftentimes makes it difficult in congregations, because when the folks who are most committed to uh, to studying the Lutheran confessions, uh, learning what it means to to proclaim and believe the gospel. When those folks leave congregations, uh, makes the pastor's job harder. So, um, so if you don't think that you it would be a good fit for you to uh, to be in the pastoral office, um, there are a lot of things. As David says, a lot of things you can do to uh, to be a, a great service to your congregation and to your pastor. Brian, you got anything, Wolf Miller? Well, maybe this, it's good for me. Uh, you know, people always ask me, when were you called to be a pastor? I think it's always good to, to distinguish between the calls that are given to us and the calls that we can choose. So you can't choose to be a pastor. That call comes from the congregation, etc. But you can choose to study theology. That's up to you. You know, you can you can be a student of the Lord's Word uh, and, and this sort of thing. So we want to make a distinction between the, the vocations that we that we that are within our Christian freedom and that are not within our Christian freedom. So every Christian should study theology, and then the Lord sorts these things out. Like David says, I mean, there's so many different gifts, and I, one of the problems we probably have today is that, like I think Hans mentioned this, if you want to, if you're going to be in the church, you got to be a pastor. Like that's the only option, and there's so much other stuff, uh, other helpful ways to serve in the church that. Um, it's good to have a, a variety of folks doing different stuff. And one of my thoughts on this is, is what do we mean when we even ask about church work and what that looks like 20 or 30 years from now? It, I, you guys might be in different places than I am in terms of your perspective on this. I just don't see kind of the, uh, the career church path being the average normal thing people take for in the next the next generation there may be some i mean certainly there's going to be places where a pastor is needed to be you know a full-time pastor and, and whatnot but i think you're going to see a lot of places where uh, it requires more creativity or a dual parish tri-parish three-point parish all that kind of stuff um it's just going to look different and so to say church work i think everything fits in one size um to go along with it, you guys say like like as if all pastors learn the same stuff or, or fill, fill the same roles there's one office of preacher uh, but there are certainly a manifold ways that that uh, that happens, and then we haven't really mentioned the father here either, right? That um, uh, the pastor of the home, uh, the father, is something that everyone should aspire to to begin with, uh, and nothing that you have prevents you from doing that duty. Uh, and if you do that duty well, well, that's the duty you got to do well if you want to be a pastor. Uh, if you can't be a father and do it well, you really shouldn't father a church. Someone's hopping in. Nope, nobody. That's great. You know, we, we just we just had a um, I have had a long day. It's it's late here because we didn't do the whole daylight savings thing here. So, but um, you're we blessed had, people. <laughs> I know it makes more sense, right? Um, we uh, we had a kind of a colloquy, third in a series of colloquies with the uh, Ministerium of the Lutheran Church of Bolivia, and they're struggling with the question of ordination. And we're looking into the texts, and specifically texts from. Uh, now here I'm looking at pastors. I'm looking at I'm looking at three great theologians, and so I don't want to I don't want to talk over the heads of, of people who are listening. But I'll just uh, I'll make it as simple as I can. Uh, Saint Paul says to uh, to Timothy, the pastor. He says, um, 
stir up the gift that was that was given you through the laying on of hands. That is through the ordin- through your ordination. And we're discussing well, what is this gift? And it the it, and it's the same word that Saint Paul uses in First Corinthians to talk about a variety of gifts. There's a variety of gifts. Of, co- of course, this is a, a a very singular gift. But the argument I made is that whatever that gift is that God gives to Timothy, which obviously means that he's unable to carry out his ministry, you cannot exercise that gift in isolation. I depend on my members to be a good pastor. Whatever gift God has given me to be a pastor, uh, I depend on all the gifts that God has given to the church. And so I think that you should take that seriously. You know, we live in an age where we, in the in the 1970s and 80s, uh, there was a movement called the charismatic movement, and that's what the, that comes from the, the Greek word charisma for gift. And I think Lutherans have shied away from talking about gifts because it's been kind of it's one of those things that's been overtaken by another movement. But you know, the, the scriptures don't talk about offices. We're always creating offices for people. Office of this, office of that. Everybody's a cleric, you know. And I think that's what uh, Pastor Fisk is getting at. You know. Are we going to even have all these clerical positions in the future for people? Why don't we just go back to calling them gifts? That's what the Bible calls them. They're mm-hmm. gifts. And and, 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 and and what I really like about what Pastor Fisk said, and this is, I think, critical, even for pastors, vocation is primary. So go to ask yourself what you are if you're a father. Um, you know, I'm convinced my wife could make me millions of dollars. She's a smart lady. But she's a mother of eight children, so she should be a mother first rather than go and make me millions of dollars. Well, maybe I'll reconsider that. Um, but anyway, point, the point is the gifts you have are valuable. But first ask yourself what God has called you to be. And I think that that's, that's a, a more important question. What do you think, Hans? I think if my wife could could make me millions of dollars, I would I would settle for her working part time and making me hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the advice, Hans. <laughs> thanks for the advice. This is why I'm here. Yeah, that's right. I do actually. Oh, speaking of wives, I have to get going in a couple of minutes because it's my lovely wife's birthday. Birthday. Whoa. She she sweet. had the un, the unfortunate uh, event of being born on election day. That's just yeah every year. She's uh, she's watching hospital TV shows uh, rather than election night coverage, which is one of the reasons that I love her so much. Which hospital <laughs> TV shows are the most valuable and important at this time in the Finney household? I don't I don't know which I don't know which one. Is. I know it's not Grey's Anatomy, which I think is is that I think that show's still on TV. It's been on for like 400 years. What's not still on TV on some well, this, level? Well, the thing I I loved about I always loved about Grey's Anatomy. I only I've only seen it a couple times, but was every episode would end with a with a sort of overly somber um, ballad cover of some song that I grew up hearing. You know, so sometimes it would be Madonna songs or whatever. And I was I always figured they would they would cancel the show after they ran out of songs to do that. It was like having to do a ballad cover of word up by cameo or something like that. Then they were like, all right, it's time to pull the plug on the, on this show. You had, you had so many references in that one. You entirely lost me, but it did make me think of St. Elmo's fire, which 
is a line in a song that's not called St. Elmo's Fire that is catchy until you listen to it and you realize it's really a depressing song. Are you with me on that, Hans? Yes. No, well, this, the, uh, Saint Elmo, the song was about, uh, this is a thing I know. Uh, <laughs> I which know is it. That the song, the the song was, written, <laughs> it was written about some guy who was doing a race of some kind. Like he was in a wheelchair and his fr- and this guy, I, didn't I know wrote that. the song. It was a song about it. And then and then uh, he had the song, and then they needed a song for St. Elmo's Fire, the movie. And he was like, yeah, we'll put uh, the put St. Elmo's Fire line in there and, and make it work. So, that's, so when that's he's talking about I the know. wheels, he's not talking about his car. He's talking about his wheelchair? Yeah, I believe so. I believe wow. that's correct. Okay. I have to I'm re-listen to that song, up. man. That's I'm interesting. That's real. I didn't know I'm that. Do the Joe Rogan thing where you uh, where you look it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I need a guy who does that for me. But I, I don't, don't even know enough about what you guys are talking about to look it up. I know. There's I know. a song that was. Exactly. There's a song that like got clipped for some '80s hospital TV show, and it's kind of <laughs> catchy. And um, I can't remember if somebody covered it. I've been listening to it recently, and so I brought it up. And then, of course, Hans knows it because I mean, he is the human encyclopedia of pop knowledge. It's it's kind of scary. It's okay. So it's a song by John Parr, uh, and. Um, <laughs> Oh, don't you guys talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to read. <laughs> okay, so Hans is going to go do some detail a, work. A new article for the Fenton has been born right now. Man in well, Motion. Well. Man in Motion is the name of the song. From uh, Rithner, it says this here. So, uh, Hans, but you said you got to go, man. So you're, you're going to do research now instead of leave? Yes. I'm going to – I said I had to go in a couple of minutes. <laughs> no, uh, my wife has her birthday, first. but – But, but. Let uh, me look at the story of um, – of uh hold on i'm gonna figure this out someone wants you to sing the song uh the song itself is about a canadian athlete named rick hansen who was paralyzed from the waist down after a car crash when he was 15 there we go see a new thing all right i'm gonna go wish my wife a happy birthday love you guys yeah. Great to see you. thanks hans it's been a blast man appreciate my it pleasure. Talk later hans. hey wolf miller Good someone here. just pointed out something in the comments that i think is possibly right which is that maybe your red mic is not picking up the uh the sound i think that's true i think i have failed you i could have called that earlier if my world wasn't falling apart with like you know this computer's crashing and oh my god i can adjust it let me see if Uh, i can change it yeah yeah you're all good you're all good so uh let's see here what what's up david last time you and i talked it was fort wayne symposia that'd be 2018 no it'd be 2019 fort wayne symposia i think because you weren't there in 2020. Uh-oh. I don't remember. There I, you are. Yeah, I interviewed for you for my podcast. I know. Yeah, all I know is it was the day after I saw you at that house uh, on Fort Wayne campus. We were up. Everybody was up really late. Was that and, where they um, brought all the cigars from, like, uh, somewhere in the South? Dominican. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That. that was yeah. Yeah, that was fun. That was great. It was. They let us smoke in the on-campus um, housing. I, I think they were going to tear it down or gut it right after that or something, I guess. I don't know. Hey, hey, Brian, in Wingfield's old house. Really? It was, yeah, and it was just it was wow. kind of stupid. They're like, oh, we're going to smoke in Wingfield's house. I remember he was the big health nut. Yeah, uh, yeah. When, That's something <laughs> ironic about that. That is something ironic. Although, you know, a sample yeah. needs to be filled with incense. So what are you looking up over there with me? Looks, are you working on the mic? I don't want to, yeah, uh, yeah. be on that. I don't so, know if it's working or not. What's going on down in Haiti? 
I can't believe I keep doing that to you, David. You know why? Is because I'm connected with another group that does do stuff in Haiti, uh, just through conversation and networking, similar to that, about, about the level I am with you. And for whatever reason, I can't separate the two. You're on the same island, so I guess there is that. But yeah, and and my uh, my um, associate pastor is Haitian. I just spent the day with him, or we did a funeral together today, and um, Haitians are awesome, man. They're like superhuman people. Um, it, 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 just an incredible people. They've survived so much, and uh, and we have a lot of Haitians here in the neighborhood. I see them all the time, and uh, and get to know them. But but no, we're I'm in Dominican Dominican Republic, which is very different because this is a this is a Spanish, you know, it's part of the old Spanish Empire, and um, Spanish speaking, of course, and. Uh, the the economy here is is uh, it's it's not that bad in Haiti it's 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 horrible hmm. uh, so a lot of Haitians come here for work and um, but no it's it it's it's fine this this whole COVID thing's been difficult you know that's another thing that got me going on this whole civil what what do I call it civic righteousness kind of thing uh, it's the civil use of reason is here you know people don't question they don't question question you don't you don't have people like intellectuals petitioning the government and arguing about this and that and you know face masks and whether it works or not there's none of that it's just obey or disobey it's just it's one or the other <laughs> and so you just have a lot of it just the law is forceful and uh it, it, it isn't really something you negotiate with you know and this is fascinating it's, it's, this has been quite a lesson for me living down here i'm going on four years here and uh but uh, well, I'm with you in the well. sense of I mean the the idea that I've got to be involved civically in my community is is one I just can't ignore anymore. And COVID was a big part of that. Um, the for me, it's been the awareness that we've just been gaslit so hard, so hard. And I'm not talking just since COVID. Uh, for me, it feels like my entire life. You know, cable, yeah. cable into internet, into you know video games and whatnot. And I I still like these things by and large. I think, but. Um, the overall uh, brainwashing that then suddenly was yanked out from under my feet, right? And and now it's all bad and supposed to be torn down. It's like, well, I guess I just won't believe any of what that box says now. And I'm going to go figure out what it really is. And I'm going to start by making sure I remember what the Bible says and not questioning that anymore. Now, anybody tell me, oh, I don't know. It's like, oh, okay. I'm not, I'm not arguing with you anymore. <laughs> you're, just, you're just done. See ya. You know, uh, if, if you can't believe yeah. what the scriptures say, you know? We got we got to have something uh, solid to stand on. You know, sometimes I think about that. I wonder if uh, you know our generation isn't. Sometimes people say our generation is more conservative than the last, and I wonder if it isn't because our generation just sees, you know, the demon under every single rock, familiar rock. It's all everything we know. It's just like we we see the bad, in, in so many things because there is a lot of bad. There's a lot of. Uh, of um deception in the media uh, you mentioned gaslighting um it's kind of going crazy and i think that uh I, I don't think it's so much a reaction as it is just a very keen awareness of what is right and wrong and we want to make the distinction um i mean i i don't know i, I our generation for instance i see our generation a lot of people i know having more kids um it, they're just, I don't know, more 
more conservative, I guess is the word. I'd like to think that's true. I'm not sure I, I see it all over the place. But then again, I don't know because you, what you hear in the news, what you see represented in terms of, you know, look, here's the youth. Here's the 20-year-old demographic. Look at what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all someone's photo that they did. And they, they took pictures yeah. <laughs> and they told you what it meant. And they, you know, I just don't know anymore, right? I just don't know. I don't, and, I don't. and I feel like some sort of science denier. I'm a flat earther. I'm not quite that far off the deep end. But What's up with the flat earth thing? Oh, so I are don't know. It's been around for a couple years. Earth is round? Yeah, no, they think it's flat. I don't know. I've not looked into it. I, I, I have to admit, though, I'll say this. I've never, like, flown to space and looked, right? So I am trusting that someone else has done this, but it just seems like the wrong tree to bark up. Brian, what do you know? You know anything about that? Uh, it's, a, it's at least a circle. You would think, right? <laughs> yeah, that way, that way, that direction looks just as far away as the other direction. So it's got to be a circle. Oh, here's my question: If I if I fly, if I get in a plane loaded, you know, with gasoline, all that stuff, and I fly east, and I keep on going, provided I have enough gasoline, right? And I keep on going. Am I going to fly off the off the face of the earth, or am I going to come around to where I am? That's my question. Says the flat earth fisk. What do you say? I don't know because I'm not a flat earther. I, like, like, so are you talking about like flying around the disc, but you like kind of just go flat fly on the edge of the disc and fly back the other way? We're really discussing a flat earth here on the Mad Christian Channel uh, on this on this election night because uh, David Preuss, a missionary, a missionary, mind you, to the <laughs> to Dominican Republic, has brought up the very concerning topic of, of the uh, the shape of the planet. And Wolf Mueller has not helped us. He hasn't jumped in and defended us against this madness, this crazy kind of talk. What is going on? I'm just trying to... I'm just... I, I, Flammy is sending me texts like, what's going on with Texas? And I'm just waiting for this... I, I mean, it's just crazy. If Texas would stay well, blue, that'd be really That wild. is really something. But I don't know. I'm looking at Twitter here, too. I mean, this is a completely different topic. But um, so tw- Virginia's been called... Yeah, on the side I'm looking at for uh, for Biden, um, but now here we see people reporting Trump has a lead of 300,000 in Virginia despite it being called for Biden with 36% reporting. So the thing is, you know, the misinformation campaign has probably already begun, and any standard polling results that are calling things with only 30% of polls reporting are doing what they did last time around, if that makes sense. And it's just we're gonna have to wait. We're gonna have to wait maybe weeks. It would seem, <clears throat> uh, according to some prospects. Yeeks. So tell Flammy to get so, back in here and chat with us. We need, we need more people in here. On the uh, on the flat Earth business, it's just a it's a there's a. <laughs> the, the, I'm sorry, I got to laugh. I got to laugh. I, hold that thought, Brian. Don't lose it. Don't lose it. But just so you know, know, Annabelle has beat us all. She said it's not flat. There are mountains, and uh, so we all lose. <laughs> we all lose. Go ahead, Brian. You had a good point. It, it's a. Uh, it's just a. It, it's a. It shows how. There's so much distrust for the for science, you know. This is so so everyone is very nervous of the scientific consensus, and so there so this sort of the conspiracy theory, the conspiracy theory minded, is it's just a it's a wild phenomenon, and the internet has really sort of expanded it because uh, it's just it's the same sort of thing. I remember looking into in college. Someone was trying to convince me that we never landed on the moon, you know, and this is one of these big things now that you got to go in there and they're showing you all the pictures and all the proof and everything else like this. I mean, it, it helped that the same guy that was trying to prove that was also the guy who thought that the revelation given to St. John was 
a guy who was tripping on mushrooms. Right, 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 so, right. Joe Rogan uh, in both counts, by the way. Just, oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's got he's, uh, Moses uh, Acacia Wood apparently is uh, uh, is uh, hallucinogenic. And uh, so when the burning bush was an acacia tree on fire, that's how Torah came about or something. It's, it's a bit irreverent, I must say. Kind of slightly one-sided historical look at the thing. But, uh, you know, Rogan's Rogan. He does what he does. Uh, Brian's point was better, I thought, in general. Say, say you're, you're kind of primary point again, Brian. Yeah, is it that you have the breakdown of scientific uh, authoritarianism? Right, right. Well, because it's a knee jerk, right? Like that's where I'm at. Like I went from trusting science and scientists, and say like the World Health Organization or the CDC's pronounces fairly implicitly, like they say do it. I'm like, all right. And from Fauci and lie number one to whatever other lies, but the mask one was clearly there and is demonstrable. Uh, to now today, the New York Times. New York Times ran a story on the World Health Organization uh, kind of scuttling some of the China information early on, hiding it from the rest of the world. Um, yeah. And so, you know, uh, it, I have had Why a different view on conspiracy anything? theories ever since I learned that the phrase conspiracy theory was brought up or was, was invented by the FBI following uh, the Kennedy assassination. That's when it came into the, into the language. And I think there's a danger of knee-jerking to the other side. And that's right now we have to really watch because people are going to do that. Um, and yet we were in free fall. Where do you go for the information? If the CDC can't yeah. be trusted, where do you go? Yeah, yeah. It's like someone says, hey, this is what physics is. And then they say, hey, we evolved from monkeys. And you're like, well, you kind of undid your authority there with that monkey business. <laughs> and now I got to go and try to figure out how to do gravity by myself. You know, it's a, it's a tricky place to be. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, the, you know, JFK gave a speech just a few days before his assassination in which he spoke specifically about conspiracies. Hmm. I think that's fascinating, that point. He used the word, he, he referred to uh, uh, secret societies and warned against secret societies, calling them conspiracies. It was a, it was a very well-written speech. It, it was probably the last time you heard a politician refer to his opposition as, as uh, conspirators, you know? Hmm. Because now you're just a, kook if you believe in that I mean, that's that basically that's that's how you discredit a conservative well and but it, to be fair on the other side there's lots of kooks out there saying the earth is i know you know so and, and that's where like the white noise is the way i keep talking mr the matrix from the movies you guys and i kind of grew up on maybe a little bit like you can't really see what's really going on you just have to believe what's going on according to what scripture says and where i guess i may be most disturbed and less willing to trust the scientists the experts all this is the scriptures are pretty clear. Men are evil. Men lie for their own profit. And unless they're a Christian inspired by the Holy Spirit, they have no reason to do otherwise, nor should we expect them to. Perhaps if their religion teaches some sort of uh, damnable punishment after death for the action, it is less likely for them to do it. Um, but in a lot of these matters that we're talking about, that's not even the case. Uh, we're, we're trying to like best construction the CIA. I mean, really? I mean, I, I don't care. I'm a pastor. They're going to do what they're going to do. But don't ask me to best construction them, right? And, and then pull the Eighth Commandment on me as if that's what this is about, right? As if it's some sort of small catechism thing. I don't know. Yeah. It oh. does come back to authority, you know? It's <laughs> yes. like, what, what is your authority? And it is so, it is great. I mean, it's a, it's a huge advantage that we have uh, that the Lord gave us a book. <laughs> and he says, truth. okay, here. Yeah. And... Inside of this is uh, is what I say, and outside of that, you—that's why I gave you reason and eyes and 
rulers, you know, to measure stuff or whatever. But but in this book, this belongs to me. And so so we have a place where we can go and trust. And then we have a place where we can go and explore. Well, but it is it is it's there there's it's uh it's it's uh, disconcerting the 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 life that conspiracy theories have on um on the internet and that I don't think that's healthy for our conversation. Um, I'm trying to let Koontz get in on here, so uh, I'm, I'm distracted by doing it. I, I agree, because the impact that the internet has on the conversation in the church in general is overwhelming. This is only an extension of what, say, cable news or news or uh, tech or radio or printing press all the way back continues to change or impact or uh, uh, force the church into conversations that we aren't necessarily ready to have. Um, and this is where the idea that the, uh, the TV in the home is a teacher is something we just haven't wrestled with nearly, nearly enough. Um, so, oh, it looks like we got Kuntz is here and then Price, you went away and back, but I think we're all in, uh, Dr. Adam Kuntz from Concordia Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana joining us this evening. I don't know if you've met David Price. He's doctor down in, uh, Dominican Republic at Concordia. Is it Concordia Lutheran Seminary, David? And we're called Concordia Seminary, the reformer. The reformer. There you go. Awesome. And then Brian Wolfmuller, uh, face you probably recognize there. Uh, so so yeah. welcome back. We're talking about conspiracy theories, of all things, and how they're okay, good awesome. and bad and flat earth and whatnot. Do you know anything about flat earth, Adam? Um, I, just that it's totally true. Besides that, no. <laughs> Did a man land on the moon? Uh, not as far as I know. Um, we're, all, we're, we're all on the same page. Right? Oh, um. <laughs> That is a page I've been trying to stay away from for a long time. Sorry, you guys are pulling Wolfmuller where you don't want to go. I already said earlier, no one's opinion is anything but their own on this show, and that's what we got to get used to on the internet. You can't get too mad about it. So, yeah, uh, let her fly. Are we talking? Are you? Were you actually talking about flat Earth? Uh, yes. Uh, okay. I mean, brought I mean, it up as a question, and he yeah, asked yeah, me yeah. what I knew about it, and I don't know much other than that I'm pretty sure I don't agree with it, but I yeah, can't right, really right, right. answer that. I think it's. I think it's like kind of obviously started as a meme, but it's grown way beyond that. Um, I mean, it's not like people in antiquity actually thought most of them that the earth was flat. That's how you get the Greeks calculating the circumference of the earth because they think it's a sphere, you know. So um, but I think a lot of people get duped into that kind of like um, we had a lot of folks that wanted to affirm um, a non-Copernican universe because it seemed like it agreed with the Bible better than saying that the sun was at the center of the solar system, you know? So I think it's kind of the same issue, at least for Christians, for non-Christians. I think it's just, they, they ran too far with a meme. <laughs> so the, on the conspiracy idea though, um, yeah. we're wrestling with like, you have to, you're, we're at a point in history where you have to admit that they're there that there are evil man lying, doing things. And yet, how do you prevent yourself from knee-jerk reacting to the point of, like, there is no truth, there is yeah. no science, we'll never go to the doctor again, no blood transfusions, you know, only, you know, that's been done before too, right? We have, we have history of that. So, you know, how do you draw a middle line in this? Uh, middle, I don't know, man. I mean, it, because you're dealing with uh, conspiracy theories are going to blossom where distrust blossoms. And distrust is absolutely everywhere. So mm. it's kind of hard to find anything else. I mean, of course, they're going to be. I mean, if you look 
look at like Russiagate, like Russiagate is is just a leftist version of a conspiracy theory. So it's not condemned by the media, but it's the same. It operates in the same way that conspiracy theories on the right operate or kind of non-political in a technical sense. Right. Stuff like, well, we didn't land on the moon or, you know, implying the moon is real, you know, implying Right. Like there, you can go as deep as you want, depending on how much you want to distrust. And of course, there's tons of distrust everywhere. That's it. So then where do you start? I mean, I, I say the Bible. Right. But I mean. Sure. Right. Well, in case I, I mean, I mean, I think like an individual person on the Internet, you know, it's, it's so obviously case by case by case. And what do you actually care about? Um, but as far as the church goes, it's not like the church needs to be as desperately shaken as whatever society it's in is shaken, right? I mean, obviously, we're going to be affected by what's going on around us, but it's not like we have to have those levels of distrust. I think we get those levels of distrust when we're not actually capable of, you know, what Paul refers to as plain speaking, which is what citizens do in, you know, ancient Athens with each other. They, they will actually say what is going on. If the church can't do that, then obviously we're going to end up like the world and we're all going to distrust each other, you know. Brian, David? It's a brilliant point. I mean, I don't know. I, this is a, I, that. that um, well, so, so, but maybe, Adam, could I toss yeah. it back to you? What, what yeah, do you yeah. think the, the um, I mean, where do you think this distrust comes from? What, what would you, like... If you were yeah. just sort of measure trustfulness, right, and the and the things that desire to be tr- and that needed to be trusted, I, I mean, I, I think I'm with you that it's growing, but I don't know, I don't know exactly how you measure it, and I also don't know what you, what the cause of it is, and I'm not 100 percent sure if maybe part of it is just the wrong things are asking for trust. I, I don't know. I mean, so sure. I'd just love to hear yeah, more. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think wrong things, like obviously, like. Who, who actually loves CNN? You know, like people believe CNN, but who loves CNN? So I think there's, there's an element of maybe love. And I don't mean that in like a, some kind of like mushy way. It's not necessarily emotional, but like something you would die for, something that really matters to you. And so much of people's daily life doesn't touch those parts of their lives at all, right? Um, their daily life is kind of like a grinding routine and then there's entertainment and then you chill out and then the day is over, you know? So like if your life is composed of those things and you're constantly isolated, that's going to drive more and more kind of like anti, um, the word that's coming to mind is sociopathic, basically sociopathic behavior, because what I'm looking like, you know, like when I look at another person. I'm not only uninterested, I also just like don't even know where you're coming from. Uh, that's got to be part of it. But I mean, when you talk about things that are asking for trust that don't deserve trust, obviously we could talk about the media or lots of other stuff. Uh, Pastor John Bomero, Dr. John Bomero has just joined us. Uh, he is recently, where'd you move into Montana? Is that correct? I'm in North Idaho. North Idaho, um, and uh, formerly working in the Pentagon as an assistant to the, the chaplain program there. Um, I don't know if you've met uh, Dr. Adam Kuntz, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and then I just lost the picture of 
uh, our other guest, where'd he go? Uh, Dr. David Preuss, seminary professor down in the Dominican Republic. So we're all talking about conspiracy theories, their dangers, their necessities, the end of experts, science, distrust, and its impact on the church. So feel free to jump in whenever you want, and I'll let the other guys just kind of continue uh, as we go. Thank you very much. So does, I mean, does that, does that make sense, Brian, or did I gloss over something? No, no, that, that makes, I mean, it makes total sense. I'm not sure, uh, there's gotta be something, I mean, maybe there's a, there's a still a gap to build, I mean, just to the sinful flesh or to maybe our propensity towards enthusiasm or the, the fact that we're, that we're always curved in and on ourselves. but it seems like that, that the sinner, how, how would you say it, that the, that the sinner in isolation is going to be grabbing onto things for the sake of survival. So thus the sort of idolatrous instinct. And so we would have a natural propensity to grab on to sort of the settled consensus. And so maybe just maybe toss this out is because I've been thinking a lot about some of the temptations that come along with uh, indulgence or with what is it when a, when a, a culture has too much stuff? Um, uh, death well yeah uh, well, affluence that's what I so there's, okay. there's, yeah, there's okay. particular temptations that come along with affluence yeah and maybe that's one of them I mean is that when sort of survival is not the ultimate question but there's this so, so that now like investing in entertainment becomes a possibility and and that natural inclination towards a group think or towards a consensus worldview starts to break down, that affluence kind of cracks the way open for that. I don't know. I'm just sort of spitballing yeah. out loud here. But. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't want to defend groupthink as such because I think like when we had, and I see this nostalgia in people like, like oh, I remember when the news just reported the news. Yeah, okay. But <laughs> they got us into two world wars by just, just reporting the news it's like so uh, it, it's not like it was you know also the spanish-american war so it's not like there was a, a golden time in which the media wasn't also sinful right so it's kind of like the thing that i wonder about is like okay what changed from anecdotally people can remember a time when doors more doors at least were unlocked you know all the time and now like more and more and more doors are locked on my car on my house on my whatever you know like so we're talking about something that is sin, but it's it's at a collective level at the, at the least, right? Maybe, probably also individual, but there's something collectively going on where even just in public, we're like uncomfortable with each other and don't know what to say um, a lot of the time. So something that I've been wrestling with is I as I think about how my um, my brain has been formed by media for 40 years without my consent. Yeah. Right. Is how I, yeah, right. Uh, I've been formed to believe a certain mythology and that in one sense, the news organizations that we have trusted since at least Vietnam, if not sooner than before that, uh, to be telling us what the truth is about our reality. It's a mythology. It's a religious mythology. Uh, Bombaro, I jumped over you there. I'm sorry to do that because I really want you to jump in. I was just thinking about theologically, we speak about structural sin and how sin permeates all the structures of society. But that's not to offer an excuse to individuals because individuals comprise collectively society. So we're still talking about the corruption of the uh, the human heart and also looking for 
Well, I mean, what are we looking for? Self-justification. Media gives us narratives for self-justification. Politics give us narratives for self-justification. And really, it, it all of this is wonderful distraction away from the only thing that can possibly justify is that something outside of us representing us and substituting for us on our behalf. And yeah, so I, I, I see the structural sin and um, there, there's really no turn from it. This is why we implement, you know, uh, a tripartite government in order to try to um, mitigate the structural sin um, that that's inbuilt and utterly inescapable. It was John Witherspoon, who happened to be a Calvinist from the University of Edinburgh, who had come over to Princeton and said, you know what, we, we really need to have three parts of government here because everyone will be looking out for self-interest and therefore um, holding a check and providing balances over against the other as we're invested in self-interest. Again, all of this is about a, a narrative of self-justification. The church itself, however, is not to operate that way. It's supposed to be a different spirit, a, dis, a disposition of selflessness. And this really can only come from acknowledging that there is really only one sovereign in the world, and that's our Lord. Uh, jump in, anybody who wants. Pastor Brian Wolfman is going to check out for a while. Brian, thanks for joining us. We have a couple questions about ethnicity that could pull into the LCMS if we want to tread there. Um, we got Chris Roseborough watching. I'm trying to convince him to jump in and chat. Um, but again, we're uh, I can I can go check on politics on my Twitter feed, but that's not reliable either. So three part government, John Babaro. My question is, does it even work? I mean, is it even really is it working at all? I'm going to take a phone call from Roseboro on the phone. You guys chat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not, when it, not when it breaks down in the way in which, for instance, the legislative branch starts to operate like, uh, I'm sorry, the judicial branch begins to operate like a legislative branch. That becomes highly right. problematic. Right. Um, or I, here's another topic. We can talk about that um, space we envy at Brian Wolfmuller's. Uh, wouldn't you guys just like to sit in those orange chairs and uh, sip pina coladas and <laughs> We're talking about pina coladas and sitting in um, Brian Wolfmuller's lair. Yeah, that his, is that. <laughs> his library is a beautiful place. <laughs> Sorry, David, I talked over you twice. What was that? No, that's a fact. That's what we were talking about. And like we were talking about flat Earth before. Well, okay. So um, I promised Koontz though that we would have something substantial to say about uh, <laughs> why Christians should be watching not only tonight the election and caring about that, and we've talked about that on and off throughout the evening, um, but why they should have a care for several pastors, and in this case, uh, guys who have taught at seminary or collegiate level, um, Christians, why should they care about your opinions? Uh, is this something we should even be doing? This is definitely not the way the Lutherans have normally done tonight, right? Mm. And and yeah. I think we need more of this. Um, okay. I, I, so... Do you agree? You're here? No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that um, the way that we functioned as Lutherans was based on, and it was sometimes it seems like the only thing that the early LCMS actually liked about America was that there was religious liberty. <clears throat> um, this is obviously prior to a lot of the sort of financial and legal 
entanglements that we that we have with uh, various levels of government at this point with the tax system and things like that, um, things that we've gone to the Supreme Court over. So we're basically left totally alone to do whatever we want. Um, so within the group, sociologically, you know, pastors and especially people like Walther, Franz Pieper are going to function in, in uh, a way that for our group, which wasn't all that polit- politically active, um, different from, say, Irish immigrants or um, they, they function kind of like a political boss, but to lead the group in this way as a church. Um, there's a way in which that stopped making sense as we kind of mainstreamed. I think that and, and in that, uh, I think kind of cutting ourselves off from being um, politically active altogether. Right. So like pastors just don't even talk about politics. Right. Um, that, you know, no, I, I constantly think about this Martin Chemnitz quote about we are not like ham to uncover our father's shame. So I don't want to look back on, you know, how people talked about politics and church and state in 1948 and say, yeah, they were totally wrong. I've got it right now. But obviously, because the church's position in society has changed so radically since that time, I think greater group cohesion, which in the church is fostered by pastors, is uh, really, really important. So it's not that because I was ordained, I suddenly know, you know, what to say about politics, or I know exactly what decisions should be made nationally or on a state level or something. But that as a group, if this is our main commitment in life is to be Lutheran Christians, then we have to, as a group that has a particular theology about which I do know something, we have to come to relatively collective and common decisions and attitudes and positions and the way that i think about it is basically for our survival all right because no one uh, else is necessarily guaranteeing yeah uh and right as you're doing this i'm now being distracted by a, a, a notification on my board um keep going keep going we're gonna have a change here in just a moment but keep going i i i don't look in the future and think oh no Maybe I shouldn't have said it. Hold on, hold on, Adam. We're getting some choppiness here as we get some new guys coming in. We're going to have six of us before we're done, um, unless we lost a few in the process. Uh, but I think Skype's just having to catch up with everything that went through. Um, uh-oh, uh-oh. There we go. Skype. Watch it. Dance. Good. We got Chris Roseborough joining the house, and it threw Skype into a little bit of a, a, a backlog here. Um, hopefully, it will catch up in just a moment, and I'll be able to tell you who they are. So if you're watching right now on the stream, you can't see – you can see me. I'm in, Here I am. I'm down the, in the bottom corner. Next to me, that way, you got Brian Flammy. He's a pastor in New Mexico. He was with us the first hour this evening. Beside him on the far end, you got Chris Roseboro. He is uh, the pirate at Pirate Christian Radio, uh, host of the Fighting for the Faith, among many other things. Above him, David Preuss. He's a, a seminary – Doctor, uh, professor down in the Dominican Republic, and then um, upper, middle, hopefully coming back will be Dr. Adam Kuntz, uh, and then left to him, Dr. Uh, John Bombaro. Adam Kuntz is at Concordia Seminary in Fort Wayne. John Bombaro is a pastor up in northern Idaho now. Kuntz and Bombaro, if you turned off your cameras, please do turn them back on. Um, Otherwise, I don't know where you guys went. But Chris and Brian, welcome. We were talking about, I don't know, David, what were we talking about? Now I forgot. It talks so long. Goodness. Oh, no. 
Anybody hear him? I didn't hear him at all. No bueno. Chris, can I hear you? Talk to me, Chris. Yeah, it's too much. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kick who yeah. let's see. I'm going to kick off somebody um to try to make this thing slow down. Skype can't take it. Yeah, Flammy, you can take off for me. I'd like to get Yeah, I can't even get to my my the the app, the app to knock you out. So, there you go. Oh, Bombaro left and now everything's fine. God God bless Bombaro. I wanted him back in. Um there goes Flammy. Adam, can you hear me? Yeah, can uh, can yeah, you hear me? I can. You're fine. Chris, talk. All right, cool. Must be like four I, guys. I, I, I'm here. What, what what would you like me to talk about? Anything. I was just going to make sure David can be heard too now. David, you there? Yeah, yeah. can you hear me? Yeah, I can. So, Adam, you had some really good points before this about something. And then Chris came in, and I wanted to shift it to him. And you, and keep talking about this. And I know Bombaro has something to reply to. So anyhow, yeah. we're here. Let's yeah. chat. Um, we were talking about uh, why we're even doing this. That is not to be too like meta about the whole thing, but um, I don't think that pastors refusing to discuss our political situation, not necessarily like you know which counties are going to go red or blue. Like, what do I know about that? But that if our deepest identity going forward in an uncertain future is as Lutheran Christians, then we who do know something about theology are responsible, I think, for giving the group a sense of where we're going and what we're doing and what we're about and how we can make it, you know, together. Because I, I think that as opposed to say 1948 or 1848, um, the environment is not really conducive to us just doing our own thing and being totally left alone. Um, much less being fostered, you know, um, as maybe we were in the 1950s by a lot of factors. What do you think, Chris? You come from a very different perspective into the LCMS. So does Adam, though. He comes from outside. So so what do you think? So I, I can tell you this is that uh, whoever wins uh, today, that person will be prayed for uh, at our altar at Kongsvinger. And uh, and so I've been a pastor long enough. I've I've prayed for Obama, I've prayed for Trump, and I continue to pray for this nation, and uh, and and all of our leaders. And so uh, the way I look at it is is uh, Romans thirteen makes it pretty clear that uh, whoever's in charge that uh, at the end of the day Christ is the one who's in charge. So uh, and, and if I'm if I'm knowing my history right, I mean, I'm pretty certain that uh, Paul wrote Romans uh, when a Roman emperor was actually uh, in charge of things. And it may have even been Nero, you know, and talk about a lousy emperor as, as emperors go. And and so uh, I'm going to continue to pray for them. And uh, and so as a pastor, my job's word and sacrament, uh, you know, uh, preaching the word, administering the sacraments, baptizing, teaching, uh, wash, rinse, repeat. None of that's going to change regardless of uh, whether the U.S. goes red or blue. Jump in, David. Go for it. Yeah, I think, of course, we we pray for our ruler. We pray for the one who is in authority. There's no question. Um. I think you know we should follow St. Peter's counsel that we fear God 
and we respect the king. We don't fear the king. And I think that's the I think that's the issue. Kind of going back to what I was talking about before. We are in a time where we need to use the best of our civic reasoning, ground it in 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 in, in this what we have here is an interface between theology and politics. It's always an interface. Mm-hmm. We can't reduce things. Politics, don't talk about politics from the pulpit. Well, of course, of course. You don't, you don't talk about things that are outside of your, your, your scope, outside of your, uh, your area. Um, what is it? It's a transgressing on another person's vocation, right? However, there is an interface, and we need to be very clear about what that is because we theologians, we pastors— uh, do have insight. The Bible does teach us things about politics. And um, I think that, you know, the issue of the you know, re- religious liberty, I, 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 I wrestle with that sometimes because, of course, I don't, I don't believe that these—I don't hold these truths self-evident that Muslims have the right to—have the inalienable right to worship, uh, uh, you know, a, a demon, right? However, I do believe— in the, the re, in in the, the a reasonable, um, uh, I believe that there is a, within the scope of reason that we ought to uh, speak clearly about what is uh, what the government is, what the government should do, and the government ought to uphold virtue. The government ought to serve the family, <laughs> ought to ought to reflect the family. House fathers should stand up and be and and speak confidently, and pastors ought to tell. Uh, house fathers to stand up and speak confidently uh, concerning the duties of of the government. That's one of the places um, I got loudest this this summer was when uh, when the Black Lives Matters information came out showing their platform uh, rejecting fatherhood, right, and just decrying it straight out. It's like okay, I gotta say that's wrong at a certain point. I can't just let that one fly by, even though I'm totally with you, Chris. Like next Sunday, nothing's changing. We're the same church we were, right? We're still gonna say fatherhood's good. We're still going to say killing babies is bad. It's kind of what we're going to do, <laughs> right? No matter what. Right. Yeah, and, and so under, understand this then, is that, uh, you know, so I, I teach several catechism classes a, a week, and I, I find it fascinating that uh, over and again that when we get to Sixth Commandment, uh, I, I find that uh, uh, all of a sudden it sounds like I'm teaching something political, but I'm not. Uh, when, when I open up Genesis 2 and uh, Genesis 1, and I say, and it says God created them male and female in the image of God, he created them, uh, that uh, you're going to note that all of a sudden that's become a political statement, but it isn't. It's a statement of truth. And, and, and so you're, you're going to note that there's no way for us to avoid uh, uh, the appearance of being overtly political. But in reality, it's not about politics. We've got a problem, and that is, is that humanity is so <laughs> steeped in sin that they refuse to accept the fact that God made them male or female, and they want to have total self-determination like the devil uh, in determining uh, the, you know, their, who they are and what they are. And, and so when we say, no, God created you male or God created you female, deal with it. And it's sinful for you to do otherwise. Uh, you know that it sounds political, but it's not. That's that's just basically a, a matter of this is what God's word says, and this is an objective reality. And, and so you'll note that we 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 the interface 
changes and is becoming a very pitched battle. But the the important thing that we do in this situation is we hold the line and we say to the state, no, you don't have the right to say that uh, an eight year old kid can change his his uh, his gender because God made him that. Uh, Dr. Coons, you had mentioned earlier the role the pastor has in maintaining group cohesion, and I thought that was really interesting. It's not just the pastor. I think it's, again, the father is, is the, the head or the symbol of any group, uh, men, women, men and women. You're going to have someone rise to the top that's going to be someone that's looked to as an identification factor or, or yeah. the imitation factor for that community. And I think right. the we've resisted seeing the pastor in that role, uh, at least in the Lutheran tradition, out of fear. Um, but you're kind of making the case that if we don't have something Sunday binding us together as an image of fatherhood, then we're, we're, we're kind of lost. We're floating, floating dead. I think you're just, I mean, I, I think if you're like, well, uh, I, I'm sorry, you know, the, the voters assembly is supreme in our polity, please persecute someone else. You know, I mean, that just, it, that really doesn't matter. Hmm. Um, hmm. in that case, the state would be more theologically astute than, than, than we would be. So I think that the, the job is yours, whether you want to exercise it or not, you know, um, you are the leader of the group, whether you want to be or not, that doesn't bear on whether you make every decision about, you know, the parking lot or, uh, how many bids we get to get a new roof or something. Um, but it does affect, uh, whether or not you are the guy, especially when trouble comes for the church or her members, because, you know, if you're going to say that God's word says that male and female, he created them, um, eventually, and in some places right now, certainly in some settings like campus ministry, uh, that could result in actual, you know, harm to your ministry. Mm -hmm. It's not merely a matter of exercising your free speech anymore, um, because that's hate speech, you know, as we know. And so that's going to be a problem going forward. Response, Chris, David, either one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I, I think also, we pastors, preachers need to, um, uh, we need to teach our people not to trust. And it seems like a, well, of course, we don't trust in princes. We, you know, we know the hymn, trust not in princes. But that is what the the left, if we can call it the left. That's what they're teaching them to do. They're teaching their folks to trust, hmm. to put their trust, and it's a it's a servile trust. It's a trust without love, and I think that we that the, without mentioning Democrats, which I'm tempted to, we need to we need to we need to say it. We need to speak truthfully, and and not and not you know uh, pussyfoot around the issue. Um, this is a. Um, it, this is a theological issue. We need to uh, we need to trust God, and if you trust God, you can't very well be trusting the government at the same time. And um, and I think and also to confront lies, people who deal with lies. It's not a small thing to lie. I, you know, we live in this call it what you want postmodern world where you know just tell me tell me a lie like the Dolly Parton song. Tell me lies. Tell me sweet little lies just just to get me through the night. You know, that's, it seems to be the way people think these days. Just tell me something that I can hold on to now <clears throat> uh, that'll get me through. 
I think we need to teach people to demand truth. Truth is godly. It's a virtue. And um, I, I just, I, I find that, you know, a lot of times, I don't know, at least in my experience from what I've seen, the sermons get really formulaic. You know, you just you teach your law, you teach your gospel, and, you know, it's, I mean, it's all good. No, we, we need to instruct, I think. We need to instruct the mind. I, I, this is very important to me because I live in a culture where uh, people are not educated. More than half of my people are illiterate. I teach. Fisk, you made fun of me uh, two years ago because I, 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 I teach from the color Bible. <laughs> right. You know, I remember that. Green is life. Black is death. Uh, you know, red is the blood of Christ. White is the righteousness and purity of the robe, and then, and then gold is glory. <clears throat> um, when when you when you're dealing with people who do not use their reason, they simply don't. Um, um, they obey, they march to to their orders. Uh, you see, as a pastor, how difficult it is to teach them other things. And you know, we we, we have uh, uh, this robust theology of mercy now. A lot of this in missions. If anybody's listening from LCMS, uh, just please hear me. Uh, from missions, please hear me out. Um, there's a danger to that. To just uh, to, to to having to, to showing mercy to people, it's kind of like you know the old proverb: giving giving somebody a fish rather than teaching them to fish. We need to teach people to use their their minds, and there is a that is a you know it's not politics, but there is a political aspect to that. There's a, there's a first they article will, aspect to it. Your 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 mind and your body are one, and you're made you're part of the creation, and and the idea that we could have Christians that are not engaged in their mind with the word of God and that this would not be bad for their bodies and their, their neighborhoods uh, is, is really lunacy, but that's what we did. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to keep banging it that we, we did it by letting the world have a voice in our homes. Uh, whether it was the radio, the internet, the TV doesn't matter. It's when we decided the world's voice was trustworthy, um, and that it would not be used for evil, that we could just let it uh, raise our children. Uh, Dr. Coons, I know you got something you definitely want to say in response to any of this somewhere. What do you think? Yeah, I think um, when you're, I, th I, th I think that the thing that I have thought most about um, for us institutionally this year has been the idea that we really were, we were prepared to fight each other over certain things. We were prepared to fight evangelicals over certain things. We were prepared to make fun of Pope Francis. We weren't really ready for the idea that the structures undergirding these fights, um, you know, cash flows, uh, people showing up, congregations not being completely divided over a single hot button issue with ramifications in people's minds for life and death. Um, we weren't prepared for that. And I don't know how anyone could be. But now that it's here, now that we see that things can go away, um, and I've been shocked by, uh, pleasantly shocked, you know, uh, I think on Sunday, um, the, uh, the newspaper in the town of my birth, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, which has been reliably left-wing forever, um, it's not the conservative paper, endorsed Trump. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, the world is changing rapidly all the time. That's fine. And in some ways, it's good and it's exhilarating. But um, I, I worry that we were unprepared for that, but precisely for the reason that David said, that just at the time when we needed most to know exactly why we think and teach and practice all kinds of things that the world thinks are really weird. 
we were doing 10-minute sermons that are emotionally formulaic and generally devoid of content, right? So back in the day when religious liberty wasn't a big issue in like 1877, we're holding out for like 40 minutes on a Sunday in a foreign language. So everybody knows we're different and we're giving them tons of information, stay for lunch and come back for the catechism session in the afternoon called Kinderlehre, you know, and we dropped that. And so uh, I'm not surprised that we were kind of caught flat footed on all kinds of levels by this. Um, I'm excited for what the future holds. I'm curious to hear about that in the future. Um, there was a comment in the in the side about Marxism. I know, Roseboro, you had spent some time uh, looking into Marxism, looking into fascism years ago. I don't know if that uh, is a way you can kind of kind of speak to that or if you want to respond to Kuntz. I know he's a lot of good stuff there, too. And David's the great stuff before. No, I, I first of all, I love what I'm hearing. Uh, it, I'm a firm believer that as pastors, uh, our our job is as as, uh, as in-house theologians to teach and to serve the congregation with the Word of God, copiously, not sparingly, is uh, is a big deal. Uh, I I think that the health of the church oftentimes is directly correlated to uh, just you know how much uh, of the Word of God they are taught and, and helped, helped to, to understand uh, and to embrace and to believe. It's God's Word that transforms our minds. Uh, but coming back to uh, one of the points that was made, yeah, we, we live in a dangerous world, and yeah, Marxism and, and fascism are on the march again. It's uh, like watching Rodan and Godzilla going at it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's bizarre that uh, such visible manifestations of these things have uh, have emerged in our times, uh, and I would remind us all that uh, the Book of Revelation helps us out with the, the basic theme of uh, of uh, patient endurance, and uh, and if we we look at that wonderful chapter in chapter thirteen of Revelation, uh, that's where the devil himself conjures up out of the sea, uh, the you know, the ultimate weapons against the church, which is. Uh, is is this uh, all-encompassing, demanding religion, the totalitarian uh, state, uh, and then along with it, the false prophet that everybody teaches? Uh, you know, the whole idea is to is that uh, people trust in and worship uh, this uh, this uh, this governmental system, and uh, and it comes back again in human history over and over and over again, and we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, that in our lifetime we're seeing an emergence of something to this effect, and that it could cost us our lives. Uh, the reality is is that the devil is is uh, quite tenacious and hasn't given up yet, and he knows his days are short, and so he continues to redouble uh, the efforts. And so, uh, totalitarian states that were forced to uh, uh, worship and uh, and then false religion teaching us to worship that state. Uh, well, the scriptures told us about that uh, 1,900 years ago when Revelation uh, was penned, and uh, and so we have to expect these things and be ready to uh, to give the ultimate witness if necessary. Because the reality is, my my life, you know, who cares about mine? 
you know, we 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 got to be ready to uh, to make that confession of faith, even if it's unto death. Which is a fair enough thing to to ask Christians today. Like, have you really thought that through? <laughs> as, as something. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a couple other topics being thrown in the comments, and again, anybody who wants to jump in on these, uh, question about the church's political position in the 40s. I think that's pretty broad, seeing the word "churches" in caps. The Unisancti probably didn't have one political position in the 40s, but I think they maybe mean, say, the LCMS or or the Lutheranism in America. And then um, Aaron asked this. He said. Is there a way to um, to find something good to say about left wing values so that conservative voices ring stronger? Is conservatism inherently more right than liberalism, or just is that the case in America right now? Like, is there something good about being conservative as opposed to being quote unquote liberal? Again, I mean that word doesn't even mean what it used to mean, right? So. Yeah. Um, the political position in the '40s as opposed to today is that you enjoy. Um, an unquestioned position of social prestige, um, basically no legal threats to what you want to do. You can run adoption agencies and you won't be um, anathematized by the state for not allowing same sex adoptions. I mean, a lot of that sounds, you know, kind of obvious, but once it goes away, it doesn't feel like it was obvious at the time. So um, you enjoy um, unprecedented numbers. I mean, that's kind of informal, but formally, politically, the church, uh, generally, not just the LCMS, was uh, respected. Um, and I'm not saying all of that was amazing or life was amazing. I'm saying it was a much more legally and financially secure position for the church to be in, in a society that was still, you know, living at replacement rate with the family and things like that. Once that all goes away, both the political stuff and, and the demographic stuff, that's when you're slipping into a lot of danger and dissension and confusion. And it is the case that we may have to give our lives for the same truths that people were confessing in 1947 with less, you know, fewer anyway, political consequences for what they were saying. The truth doesn't change, but certainly the church's position in this or that society can change. And to be attentive to those things and aware of those things um, is, I think, to look out for the group. Uh, to see that we flourish as much as we possibly can. Um, you know, so cases in the early church where this happens, uh, sometimes the the bishop, which is which is kind of like a parish pastor, uh, sort of organizationally, the bishop would offer himself uh, as sort of, you know, to appease the state's demand for uh, a Christian to blame for something if he could and try to keep the congregation safe. Um, that's an attitude that I think we all have to cultivate going forward. We lost Roseberry there. David, what do you think? Yeah, you, you know, I have a radical understanding of the of modernism, the entire modern project and all that stuff. <clears throat> I believe that we, I, I think it's uh, the devil, and I think the bullseye is the Christology of the formula of Concord. <laughs> I look, the entire enlightenment project is is it's an agenda of doubt. You just doubt everything. And, and whereas orth, Lutheran orthodoxy, which was just kind of kind of uh, gathered around the the uh, it's Christ, specifically it's Christology, uh, what we say about Jesus that Jesus uh, uh, is. Uh, present in his flesh in all places. We call it the ubiquity. Uh, this was such a dividing point. And 
we were taught to doubt. The Enlightenment came. They doubted original sin. They doubted everything, every dogma. And I think that kind of came to fruition in in the, this atheistic movement that we that we've seen going on in the last century. And um, that's why I, I mean I, I I truly believe what are these guys after? Why do the does the liberal left support Islam um, when Islam is not conservative? Pardon, Islam is. Views are much more conservative. In, Hold on, real fast. We just said Islam. We're losing you. We're losing you. You broke up. You wanted to Islam. I want to give you a chance to come back again. We have uh, someone else joining in. Danzer, if you're here and can hear us, your camera's not working, um, and so we can't see it. But go on and continue, David. My guess is it's caught up by now, and you'll be heard. Am I back? <laughs> yeah, I think Am so. Am I back? Yeah, you only you only broke okay, up for about good. ten seconds there. Good. I I think that I think that it is the it is the devil's movement. He's got the bulls on on Jesus, on the doctrine of the of the incarnation of Christ, and he knows to go after us Christians. Things just come right back to us. And I think the best way to respond is to be thoroughly orthodox what we believe, teach, and confess. Just go back to our go back to what we confess. Confess that in the face of, of, of the world. They're going to deny it. Of course they will. Confess it. That's what the devil's after. That's what we are. That's what we're about. That's what our identity is. And um we assert it, and we pay. We pay the price for asserting it. I, I think the the uh, see, we to be a Christian, to be a Lutheran specifically, is to be certain. It's to be certain of what you believe, and uh, I think that we're facing a, um, you know, call it liberal conservative. What we're facing uh, an age of where where to be uh, to be certain is is considered a vice. And uh, I think we need to embrace that vice and, uh, and, and, and confess. So Pastor Sean Danzer has been able to join us. He is the Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Uh, David Preuss in the upper left-hand corner, he's a doctor and professor at Concordia Lutheran Seminary of the Reformer in uh, the Dominican Republic, and Dr. Adam Coons to the bottom left of me, uh, that, uh, the bottom right of me, bottom left of you. Uh, he is a professor at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Indiana, we're talking about all manner of things, uh, Pastor Danzer, so you can just join in however you like. I promised you my opening question would be, um, why should we trust not in princes? So you can go ahead and take a hack at that right away. <laughs> yeah, I'm supposed to know that hymn, and I can't remember it right now. Uh, should know it off the top of my head, right? We shouldn't trust in princes because the Lord's the one that put him in charge, right? I really uh, have been into Psalm 82 today. Luther loves Psalm 82. He says this is kind of the foundation of why princes deserve our respect, why, I mean, they ought to have authority and they ought to wield it. Uh, the Lord actually calls them gods and uh, talks to them like he sits in a council of them and uh, almost like he elevates them up to his level. And, and the psalm goes through and talks about all these great things they're supposed to do to care for the poor, to uh, rise against the wicked. Uh, you know. But then it says, uh, they don't know, they don't understand, they walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. And then God uh, reprises his state, you are gods, uh, but you're going to die like men. So there's a limit to it, right? Uh, vain are their counsels at life's last portal. Because they don't, uh, they don't open up the progressive future into utopia. 
their their service is limited to this world. In this world, it, it's the maybe most important and most significant thing, at least with the widest and farthest reaching effects. That's why it's worthy of our time and our consideration. But uh, but it stops at death. It, it, it stops at the resurrection. It stops at the end of the world. Uh, and then the Lord is the one who uh, inherits the nations as his own possession, not any king that we're going to be electing tonight or any other night. Adam, David, want to jump in? No, I mean, I, I totally agree. I, I, if you're cool with this, I wanted to talk about the conservative liberal question. Yeah. Cause yeah, I yeah. think that's a really, I think that's a really good question. And, and I think that thinking about politics on a left right spectrum, we've talked about this on brief history of power is not really that helpful because it doesn't guide me in what is necessarily virtuous or good. Right. So, um, you know, you, you have, uh, pro NATO policies, for instance, in a lot of former Warsaw pact countries, you know, where you're, the government is financially incentivizing having more children, uh, in America that would get filed under a leftist policy because it involves not the sort of reflexive libertarianism of the American right, at least since a certain time period, I would say that's a fairly um, <laughs> pro-family, pro-natal stuff is ultimately going to be good for God's created order of the household of the family. And so I would support that. So that's why I've been thinking or trying to begin to think in terms of what promotes nature, what is natural. Uh, not being for eight-year-old transgender, you know, uh, hormone blockers, uh, you know, it is natural to be opposed to that. It is natural to be in favor of the family and of children. Um, so I'm looking for a politics of nature, and that doesn't really break down cleanly along left and right. And so I, I would suggest that it's it's often not helpful to think in those terms because it doesn't give me a sense of justice or truth or beauty or any of the things that, you know, St. Paul would have us desire, whatever is true, what is it, whatever is beautiful, whatever is lovely, right? These things do not necessarily break down along left and right uh, in current American political terms. I agree. I agree 100%. If I could just chime in here a second. Absolutely. Um, I'm kind of fading out. <laughs> um, kind of late for me. Absolutely. In fact, that that exactly is for me too, the what I described before as the the interface between uh, politics and theology. Um, there's an interesting book. Um, uh, I think her name is Sakicho Kusakawi on uh, the transformation of moral theology. It's a study of, on Philip Melanchthon where she uh, argues that Philip Melanchthon's doctrine of natural law served uh, as a kind of a pedagogue to the gospel. It leads us to the gospel. And, of course, it's the law. It's the law. It's the preaching of the law. But where, where, we, don't, where we are not teaching people to think virtuously, nor are we leading them to Christ. And I think that we have abused this uh, uh, in, in many ways. We, we have this idea that you can – and again, I'm, I'm coming from a missionary perspective. Sow the seed. Sow the seed. Well – the lesson there is those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And uh, I'm not saying that we need to create that we, we, we that we there's some political or, or natural means to 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 create the capacity to hear so that then they can later hear the gospel. I think there's a, there's a temptation to think that way. But there is some some truth to it. 
people need to be taught to listen. They need to be taught to hear. And um, I think uh, generally people are going to be more conservative when they use when when they use their minds um, uh, to uh, to pursue virtue. And um, I, I really think it's it's that easy. The, the it makes me is, it makes me think of something that that Kuntz has pushed me into recently. Advantis, uh to the sources uh, to the and, and the idea that the warfare in the church is not to build upon the foundation so much as to uncover what we built on it that covered the whole thing up. And in that way, we must be conservative in the sense that we're digging for something solid that we know has been given, which we have a tendency to hide or cover over. Um, that is not to say that there's not a place for progress or for liberality even, right? Or liberation, those kinds of things um, and whatnot. Hey, if you got to go, David, um, I really appreciate you being able to chime in tonight. You had a long day and you're in a different different time zone. John, I'm going to because it's 9 o'clock, and I'm, I'm hoping to get one or two more calls this evening. If we get too many, we're going to have everyone go crazy again. But it's a blessing I, to have you. Yeah, I just wanted to stay to hear Kuntz. And uh, now I, I would have liked to hear Sean more. And and, and uh, it's, it's more to hear to hear the rest of you. And uh, Bombaro, bummer, he got bumped out so soon. Yeah, but, I don't know. Uh, I tried calling him again. He wasn't able to get back to me. But, you know, you can go to YouTube.com slash RedFistJ and watch this, the last hour because um, okay. uh, feel, feel free to do that. But I, uh, I want to make sure we have room if Bombaro does come back, call back. Bombaro, if you're watching, I would yeah, like to get you back on. Let me get, let me get out of here. Thanks so much for having hey, me. Hey, dude, it's, it's been it's, a blessing. It's been a, been a pleasure. Thank you. Rock on. Good night, everybody. Um, I'm, I'm going to throw you guys, uh, Sean Danzer, LCMS, Director of Worship, and uh, Adam Kuntz, uh, Professor at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. This question may or may not even be one you can answer, but it, it was super chatted, so I'm duty-bound by the laws of YouTube you got to, it. to, to you put got it out it, here. Yeah. The question is, what do modern-day Nephilim look like? <laughs> yes. Um, I have friends that know a lot more about this than I do, but I would say basically – they look like some cross between um, Kamala Harris and Bigfoot. That's that's where I'm at. <laughs> Dancer, do you have an official position for the Senate on this or not? I, I, you gotta... The Senate. Uh, we'll, we'll submit it to the CTCR, and they'll come up with a really great answer in about 10 years. That's good. That's good. I'm not quite sure what the question really is about. I know I've held the position that the Nephilim is really just a reference to the um, – uh, the wars for control of the planet prior to the flood, and that the uh, the barbarian hordes that rose, the Khans, the Caesars, whoever they were, Asher, for example, who, who you know gets refounded after the Og, flood. Og, the king of Bashan, right, clinging onto the ark, onto the side of it, and that's how he got into the new world. I Is didn't hear about Bible? that one. I'm pretty sure that's more or less in the Bible. Yeah, right. <laughs> you two probably know a lot more about those kinds of myths than I have any clue. Uh, you, you have you have a history of that kind of nerding out i don't know do you guys know each other have you ever met before adam sean sean yeah yeah Yeah, we know each other all right good 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 uh what else what do we gotta say what do you want to talk about i can give you some updates texas Uh, is red again yeah no texas is gonna be fine i think virginia is in play which is kind of fun um because cnn just recalled their announcement on that one they'd called it for biden and or fox someone's recalling uh called that back uh, I can't get anything to work. My computer's so tired right now. <laughs> Fox still has it called for um, for Biden. Um, I haven't checked CNN. But... Interesting. But if I hover over it, Biden's at forty four percent and Donald Trump's at fifty three percent. That's that's really interesting to me. Yeah. Well, let me check the counties. So that's probably because, well, no. 
I was going to say, you know, Northern Virginia is going to be your most reliably democratic. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you, you still have some very rural counties that don't have everything in. Um, so who knows? Who knows? Well, and then Pennsylvania is back in the, the lean red. Uh, Trump has moved to a 50 percent. Uh, over 48.2 with what? Estimated 40% in. Of course, Pennsylvania is probably not going to be finished until three weeks from now or something, right? You got it. Yeah. Well, the uh, the attorney general of Pennsylvania tweeted out two days ago or something like basically like the only way that Trump wins Pennsylvania is by cheating. So that's the attorney general. So I have some doubts about legal processes in my native state. Yeah. but. I would say that everyone who watched the riots in Philly on TV recently on, you know, 6ABC, probably not quite as many Biden voters as there were going to be after that. You think so? I think so. You always you always get that. I mean, there's 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 a deep. It's kind of like Illinois with Chicago. There's going to be a deep hatred of the big metropolis. And then the big metropolis begins to burn itself down even more disgust. Yeah, I'd say turnout probably higher than usual for Republicans. Interesting. Wolf Miller jumped back in. Welcome back, Brian. Hey. Hey. Hey, your mic works. I missed Rose, bro. You and did. Barbaro he wasn't here long, and Barbaro was here a very short amount of time. But but maybe they'll call back. Well, good to see you. I wanted to hear the official synodical <laughs> take on the election, so that's yeah. why I wanted yeah. to I promised him you wouldn't have to give probably. us quite that one, yeah. <laughs> I want to jump in and echo uh, what Kuntz said, though, about the 10-minute the emotional sermon. And the tough part is I'm in this weird position now as the chaplain where uh, 10 minutes is way too long. It's got to be a <laughs> emotional sermon in our chapel. But, uh, You're among the evil but, it, ones. but yeah. Okay, it's frustrating. And I'll tell you, when you boil it down to a 5- to 7-minute emotional sermon every day— there's no way anybody could handle that, I don't think. Right. Uh, there's got to be more teaching. And I. so if you're in some weird situation like I am where you've got to have this Easter sermon, there's where you can take the liberty to a little bit and then move on. Uh, but what is really delightful is to be able to dig into the scriptures. And it's funny. I, I really liked what David said about bringing up those who have ears to hear front end, you're going to lose a whole lot of people who just are never going to want to listen. Uh, but but you're never going to get people just halfway. I, I, right. I don't think that's the way the parable of the sower goes, at least. <laughs> you can probably hear me. It looks like Flammy is back in and, and can probably speak as well. We have some... Oh, oh maybe he's gone again. Um, it, just so you guys all know, Skype oh, is something that I have to use with Ecamm, which is a software that is pretty decent, really, but the Skype is the problem, and that's what's super slow right now, so everything I'm trying to do is is well behind, but you three are seen by the audience and may f- freely continue talking about 10-minute sermon sandwiches, gospel sermon sandwiches. Make sure everybody <laughs> knows everything in 10 minutes and feels good about it and goes home back to their lives of godless hoarding. Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'd have my picture on the screen while I said that, but I can't seem to get my computer to work. What do you think? Did I go too far? It's your face is my words, so. Yeah, there you go. Um, or do, do we have like a closed caption screenshot on that? Because that was, I like that. That's, that's definitely meme worthy. Um, yeah, I mean, like, what is the alternative? Um, if you don't teach them, they're going to be taught by somebody else. Like, they're ju- it's just, it's not even optional. Like, talking about catechesis as if it's somehow, like, something that 
you know, uh, we're going to do well. Yeah. And so is everybody else all of the time. Right. So their Netflix binging, all of that, that's all teaching them how to be and how to think and what's normal. So why don't we just go in for that too? Like ask at least as much as like, you know, their like youth, you know, whatever sports coach is asking of them time-wise and ask at least as much of their attention as they're going to devote to, you know, whatever insane degeneracy Netflix is putting in front of their eyes that week. That's the only tool I had for youth. I would just kind of like linger on after a choir practice and, you know, they'll leave when they're ready to go. But sometimes they'll just listen and uh, you just keep going, just keep teaching. You don't have to you don't have to tell people to leave or, or you know, be afraid that <laughs> we're too afraid. Right. We're going to offend them that way. They'll, they'll go when they're done. I've been really wondering about the practicality of of Lutheran teaching. Um, I don't in any way recant or disagree with anything we confess. I wonder if there's a lot more the Bible says that we don't talk about very often. And that maybe is a problem for our overall development as people. What do you think? Anything? I think you love to talk about that all the time. I do. And I think you love to talk about it with Kuntz and Denzer, so I'm excited to hear what they have to say. <laughs> well, I, I Every time I hear like, you guys talking, that's what you're talking about. I still think I, it, you're like we're like 20 them. seconds away from the, talking about the state of preaching, but that's what we already were. I, that's what you guys were talking about when I got here. That's great. <laughs> So one of the thing, one of the things that Kuntz helped open my eyes to is that the Missouri Synod, in its dark, you know, boring German days, was a lot more active than maybe we were led to believe. You know that right. they were actually really doing battle in things like their Lutheraner. So there's a way in which all of that boring old German stuff that you hate, Fisk, was pretty decent. <laughs> actually. Yes. Now, I don't know what we do with the fact that nobody can speak English anymore, and we're maybe even teaching in German still, but uh, but I don't think it's as big a problem. Like, the problem is closing the gap. It's not overcoming us. Uh, being more true to ourselves might actually help us, I think, sometimes. Yeah, 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 and I, th I think the, the, thing that, the thing that gets me down is when we make fun of them for obsessing over things like is betrothal actually part of marriage or um, is life insurance sinful or whatever? The reason they were doing that is because they were getting into the particulars of certain biblical stories and teachings like what Jonathan's talking about. And they were wondering, is it, what is it going to do to the group if we all have life insurance policies and we don't have to help each other when somebody dies? Or what is it going to do for us if we say that betrothal, like you can break off an engagement anytime. Like, what does that, what does that actually mean? And you can agree or disagree with their conclusions about these super practical issues, but they weren't doing it because they were just like stupid or stodgy. They were doing it, I think, because they understood something that we're probably relearning now, like to say it hopefully. And that is that the Bible actually applies to every single part of life, all the nooks and crannies, and therefore, God's teaching and and the church's sense of what that is and how that applies to life does actually matter, right? So, like, I meet so many people that are interested in the Amish. The Am What the Amish do is basically, it's not secret, they just make collective decisions about life. They've made some really unusual collective decisions, but, but that's what's actually 
that's the distinctive process they have. That's it. They just make collective decisions about how they're going to spend money or, or whatever. But it's it's not like they all got together and said, this is what we're going to do about this thing in 50 years. They just continually make collective decisions to preserve the group. So we got Mark Hemingway joining us, by the way, guys. He's just popped wow. in the channel. You can see him there. Uh, the first layperson to join us this evening, uh, Mr. Hemingway. Thank you. Uh, fresh from, I, I've seen a little of you on Twitter, and your wife was just on Fox. We're talking theology, yeah. but anything you want to drop in any time, and especially fill us in on what's going on, because the polls that we're seeing are not consistent, is what, what I'm getting yeah. there. Well, um, I don't know. Let's see. The first layperson of the night, I'm, I'm, I'm honored. Um, we I'm on about my third year. Uh, so so uh, just, you know, factor that into this point in time. But then again, Martin Luther was known to work blue once in a while. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to say. I mean, you know, I, first of all, I got out of the prediction game a long time ago. I mean, I think 2012 sort of cured me of that. Um, sort of what happened just as a sort of a macro narrative in politics. Right around 2008, they started doing this thing where they were aggregating state level polls at the presidential level and finding they were getting like you know phenomenally accurate results for polls polling by averaging polls. And so, in the last 12 years or so, the media become remarkably reliant on polls to drive narratives. And in 2016, you kind of saw that fall apart a little bit. And like this, this tonight, whatever happens with the election, I think we can definitively say that the polls are wrong and the media are definitely pushing a narrative about what's happening in this country. You know, even if Biden eats out a win, it's going to look like it's going to be a very narrow one. So, you know, what's happening right now was genuinely surprising. Um, Trump has a you know definite path to victory at this point in time. And uh, I do think it's very much a rebuke on several levels of what's been the, the the dominant narrative, I think, culturally and morally, that the media have been pushing about what this election is about. Sean, Brian, Adam, you guys got questions for Mark? Uh, yeah, what's what's going on in Virginia, Mark? What do you see uh, happening there? So they've, there's something like, so I live in northern Virginia, basically, the D.C. suburbs where all of the liberal voters are. Um, <laughs> and they're, they're talking about They've been saying for a couple hours now that about 900,000 uncounted ballots from or results, about 900,000 votes that are uncounted from Northern Virginia, which is heavily Democratic, are supposed to be dropped at any moment now, which, you know, that could make things uh, very different in the race. Um, So far, only about 1.7 million ballots or so have been counted in the state. You know, Virginia is about eight and a half million people. You know, the, the turnout could be, you know, twice what they've already counted. Um, having said that, I mean, I, 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 while it is, I think, extremely unlikely that Trump flips Virginia, it's going to be much closer in Virginia than anyone predicted. Part of that is because voters in the suburbs are furious. It's become, at various points, Fairfax County in particular, a very large suburban district of C, have completely botched education issues surrounding COVID. Okay. You know, nobody's in school and they're upset about how they're handling it and the teachers unions are being intractable. And I think that definitely has a lot of you know Democratic voters in Virginia white hot. So um, while I'd be shocked if Trump flips Virginia, it will be much closer than anyone predicted Virginia to be. And it it's it's definitely goes into the pile of media. We're wrong about the election. Yeah. Got a follow up, Adam? 
I uh, I didn't have a sense of the stuff going on in Fairfax County. I was pessimistic myself about the whole thing going in, and now you know you're you're seeing all kinds of different results. So I wasn't sure. I thought maybe you had a better chance in New Hampshire than Virginia, but well, you know, it is really strange. Um, you know, a lot of what we're seeing here is simply that Trump is simply outperforming among Latinos, especially across the right. country. Yeah. And Florida in particular, I mean, state Democrats are just coming out now that it's over, saying that the Democratic Party and Black Lives Matter completely botched this for them. You can't go around waving a Che Guevara flag in, in Miami-Dade County, which is what they were doing. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, yeah. and so, you know, it, it's interesting because what's happening kind of strikes at the heart of the narrative here in May um, in, in, in very sort of, you know, key ways um you know trump is losing support among suburban white voters and he is gaining it among blacks and latinos in this country i mean it's really kind of crazy if yeah. that's been a verdict on you know critical race theory and black lives matter and some of these other i would say for our perspective theolo theologically problematic developments yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah right uh, um you know, to be clear, you know, I, I, I do think black lives matter. It's just that, you know, black lives matter, as it has come to mean in a political sense, is, you know, critical race theory and cultural Marxism and, and, and things that are very different than the sort of bland, you know, anodyne sentiment that is being pushed. Um, so I just want to make sure, you know, when we talk about it in this context, that that, that is very clear. Yeah, and just yeah. just for the record here, I've also made clear to say that, that we're this is a party hanging out on a YouTube channel. We're a bunch of individuals with various vocations, various jobs, various things, various things we do. We are not responsible for each other's comments. We are here to right. engage, to have iron sharpened iron, to learn, and to realize there's a lot of white noise out there. And so we have to kind of uh, learn from each other as we go. And clearly, Black Lives Matter, the organization, is a Marxist front that hates fathers. There's just no question about it from what they've been doing. They also seem to advocate violence. So, so I'm with you. But, you know, Black Lives, particularly Black Black lives being aborted by uh, Margaret Sanger's abortion mills uh, matter very much to me and, and everyone else here. So, Adam, it sounded like you wanted to, uh, to follow up there before I jumped in. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm disinclined even to say the slogan for the reason that I'm expected to say it as a kind of obeisance alongside the idea that for the past 45 years, you know, the, this country officially approves of killing children uh, full stop. So it's kind of hard to take seriously that somehow, you know, the great the great sin hanging over all of us uh, is uh, police relations uh, in certain inner city communities, uh, as we all uh, throughout the country, urban, rural uh, and otherwise uh, kill our children. It's really hard to take anything else seriously in view of all that. Well, yeah, and, and I think that the, the, the element of coercion that you're sort of um, reacting to, I think, is palpable. Um, they've done, um, you know, polling, you know, that shows that, you know, when when the, the killing of George Floyd happened in late May in Minnesota, um, you know, obviously a lot of Americans woke up and were very interested in doing something about, you know, police report, police reform and other things like that. Well, and, and they were also very much interested in Black Lives Matter and improving race relations in this country. By September, you know, polls were showing that Americans were, you know, back to where they were on Black Lives Matter before all this started. I mean, basically that element of coercion um, and, you know, taking these issues that I think are real, which, you know, mistreatment by the police, the over 
over-criminalization uh, uh, of urban areas and, and other things like that I, that I do think cause genuine problems for black people and minorities in general in this country and poor people in this country. Um, you know, those were exploited for some broader left-wing political agenda that got very divorced from the acute problems that they were trying to address. And as a result, I think that, you know, there's even a compelling argument, you know, based on the results we're seeing tonight, that there might have even been a setback, you know, in terms of, you know, some sort of broader political agenda to address the acute problems. I mean, a lot of us are willing to talk about, you know, police reform and how we redo policing in this country, you know, whether it's getting qualified immunity or, or, or other, or getting back for cops and things like that. But, you know, defund the police and constant Antifa protests, and that's what we're doing, are getting very, very from that. And, and I think, you know, politics and people are recognizing that that is, in fact, you know, not a good thing. And at the end of the day, law and order matters. I mean, we got rid of the most corrupt police department in the country tomorrow. That community would be worse off, you know. That New York, I mean, New York City, you know, right? And that what happened in New York? <laughs> I mean, yeah. they they effectively made it worse than it than it already was. Brian and Sean, you're still hanging out here. Do you guys want to ch- chime in and throw something to Mark while we got him? Uh, Mark, I got a question for you. What's what do you think is uh, the best way that pastors can be helpful in the in the whole political conversation? So you go to church and and you say, what what do you want to hear the pastor talking about? Do you? I mean, you're doing politics every day, every night. Are you like, all right, right. just don't do politics or so what do you what do you hope for what do you think is the right balance for that well we've got to get everyone to a place where we care less about partisan politics because precisely because we are engaged more in our own communities i mean i think just by virtue of the fact you know i go to church with any number of democrats in my northern virginia suburb you know obviously they tend to be pro-life and more culturally conservative but but you know people that think differently than i do and i am okay with that because at the end of the day not just that i do i share something in common with them theologically i also have some faith in these people because they're engaged in something directly involved in their community and things that they can immediately affect change on in terms of you know whatever our church is involved in you know their fellowship with their other parishioners and people that 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 don't think like them or even just going even one of the most amazing things about going to church you know, and particularly this is wonderful for my children, is interacting with people that are in different age groups. We are in a society now that just doesn't, like, interact with, like, senior citizens. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, if you're a single guy or whatever, you never see any children or anything like that. And, and so getting people to a place where they understand that real change happens in communities that is separate from whatever is going on in Washington, D.C., I think is the healthiest thing that you can do. Um, you know, and look, I'm a full-time political journalist, and I, I'm, 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 you know, tearing what's left of my hair out over this. I mean, there, I'm not that old, you know. I mean, well, I guess I am getting up there. I've been doing this for 20 years, but there was a time not that long ago where there was downtime in politics, and now it's 24-hour cable news cycle, you know, social media, Twitter, like constantly like throwing stuff in people's faces, and we've got to get people to a place where. They care about things other than politics. They don't see politics as the source of their ultimate well-being, let alone salvation. Um, and, and you know, get them to care about other things in their life and make real human connections with people they may or may not um, agree with. And treating um, so, politics like a religious fervor has been something that uh, I know Adam and I have talked about recently on the podcast. 
uh, that you know, what, no matter what side you look at, you see American civil religion being taken to a rather extreme and even messianic level uh, with, with our candidates. And this isn't just this election. It's, it's the previous ones. I know Danzer also had a question for you, Mark. I'll make sure he gets a chance to, to chime in with you here, too. No, I just totally agree with everything Mark said. I think it's fantastic. That's the reason I'm here. You invite but there's nowhere I'd rather spend election night than with a whole bunch of great Lutherans, uh, people who, even though are around the country, we still have a connection. And uh, everything you said, Mark, fits in totally with what I can officially say for the Synod, which is, you know, our big focus for the year is on being disciples for life. It's it's the triennial emphasis. And that uh, is, we are an intergenerational in the fact that the church is one where you still can have babies and old people and everybody all together. Uh, and you're right, we have something big uh, than just whatever the trends now or whatever the, the big at- fight is now that we can actually gather around is Jesus. So I'm going to head out and uh, keep watching on so you guys can talk about the... But uh, if you're scared, hey, pray the litany, okay? Page 288 in L. It has every single already uh, in its concerns. If you're uh, concerned about these three we've been talking about, the, the government and the family and the church, the litany, it's got all three of them, and, and it helps us to remember who we are, just the Lord. Um, and if you're scared of any of this disease and sickness that's taking lives everywhere, that's making you stay at home or do whatever else, remember, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Don't forget that. We're expecting it. Uh, uh, that that changes our perspective, and both for the election. Yeah, well, we lost uh, him there right at the end. So, uh, Pastor Sean Dancer is going to be taken off. He's the chaplain for the LCMS and director of worship of the LCMS. Uh, thank you again for pointing us to the liter- the litany in your hymnal as a prayer that prays for everything. Mark, you, I heard you pop up. Oh yeah, and I, I was just going to say. I mean, I think that was wonderfully said. I, I just would also add a somewhat cautionary note, which is to say that in this world, you know, of everything being politicized, the whole thing here about is, is it's about compulsion and it is about, you know, finding some sort of leverage, you know, and part of the problem here is that when you don't believe in, you know, earthly or temporal issues being the ultimate control of your behavior or your beliefs or what you want to do, that, that makes you very, very threatening to these people. Yeah. So it makes to you be target. free. It makes you a target. Can you imagine that? To not be afraid to die, to be to have something greater that you're willing to die for, that's the greatest threat to the idol of whatever, statism, or every idol, really. That's Absolutely. Ha! That's fantastic. Adam? Yeah, big agreement. Let's keep going. Do you, do you, have, uh, do you have another super chat? I'm seeing people in Discord saying we missed a super chat. Um, I, I think there dis- was I one. I know the that. law of super chat is that if you put it out there and I can catch it, I'm going to try. But I'm, I can't be held responsible for this. I think there was one. Here it is. <laughs> Wesley Clark left this one here. Um, it's going to take a second for it to pop up because everything is slow right now on my computer. Is monarchy better for Christianity and for Christians? Would it be better if we had no say and nothing left to us but to trust the Lord and that it's out of our hands? That's Wesley Clark. He says, thanks for your answers. And Coons, since you're on the screen, why don't you take it first? Um, I would say no. I would say when you're talking about republics, you always have to think about scale. 
um, and there's significant skepticism among pretty much all founders of whatever political stripe about the possibility of scaling up the republic very certainly to the scale that we're at. Um, but uh, I don't think that you can say that monarchy is inherently more godly um, than any other form of government. I do see a marked trend among certain folks in our circles towards monarchy. That's fine. Um, but uh, I enjoy the adventure of being responsible for my own self-government. Um, and uh, maybe that's just the Plymouth colony in me speaking, but um, I, I, I like that. And uh, that is certainly in our DNA as Americans. So if you're talking about something realistic um, for the United, for, you know, the American nation, um, why don't you try to be the best at being a republic that you can be before you start worrying about whether or not you should do monarchy theoretically somewhere else or sometime else. Adam, I mean, Adam, uh, Mark, thoughts? Um, from a poli-sci standpoint, as opposed to a purely theological one, I mean, I think it's sort of generally acknowledged that, you know, some kind of benevolent monarchy slash dictatorship um, would be the ideal form of government. Um, however, you know, um, wise, benevolent dictators and, and monarchs tend not to exist, given what we know about human nature in general. Um, everything about America's sort of constitutional republic and all of our founding documents and things like that were set up specifically to factor in this, you know, biblical understanding of human nature. You know, it, and, uh, and it, it's, it is inherently biblical understanding of human nature. But I would also say that the, hum, that the ancient Greeks, for instance, you know, had a similar understanding of, of human nature in terms of like where we draw our political inspiration. And certainly, you know, the Romans, to some extent, you know, understood that as well. The humans were inherently sinful, self-interested creatures, and you had to guard against that if you wanted any sort of sort of stable governance. Something weird happened in the world in the late 19th century, basically, where Hegelian ideas about sort of the end of history and human consciousness, you know, evolving essentially to a place where you could entrust, you know, technocratic bureaucracies to run things essentially for us um, sort of took hold. And that that basically moved on over from Germany to um, American universities in the late 19th century. And a big proponent of this was Woodrow Wilson, who gave us basically the modern administrative state as we know it, along with the progressive movement. You know, as part of this Pollyannish view of, of, of human nature, it's not a coincidence, for instance, that the same progressives that gave us the modern American bureaucratic administrative state were also rabid eugenicists, for instance, and very much, you know, founders of the, you know, abortion movement in this country. So we've been saddled with this administrative state since progressivism, that you know increasingly is dominating our politics. I mean, we think we go out and we elect leaders, but you remember in the Obama administration where you know we had a situation in the VA where veterans are dying. Sorry, yeah, okay. uh, but in you know in, in mass essentially, and literally the president of the United States, you know, over two administrations now basically lacks the authority to fire anyone in the federal government. I'm like, yeah, right. that's like the, the actual reality. Like the president of the United States can't like get anyone fired in the federal government because of unions and the way the bureaucracy and everything is set up and the way that, that we depend on things. And at the same time, our elected leaders like in Congress 
love having this bureaucratic administrative state because they're de facto legislators. They make all of the laws. They're unaccountable to voters. So when they're up for reelection, they can blame these faceless bureaucrats and all these bad decisions and not be accountable for it because they're in the executive branch. Um, and so, you know, that gets a little bit about, you know, what, what, we're, what you were talking about in terms of republic scaling up. You know, we, we've scaled up in a way that is very, very bad and it's gotten very far afield from our basic understanding of God-given rights and you know, self-interest that I think the founders, you know, very acutely had, um, you know, and frankly, governance across the, you know, across the board in this country understood certain basic precepts about human nature that are inherently biblical, you know, up until the last hundred or so years. And since then it's been, you know, kind of, well, you know, we're going to hell in a toboggan, but you know, that's, that's where we're at. Adam, you want to respond to that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the administrative growth begins, although some of it, a lot of it goes away again uh, after the, the Civil War. Um, so um, our first experiment in income taxation, um, a lot of rapid growth in various levels of government, some of that goes away, some of it you know, goes away after reconstructions in the South. But I, I mean, I, I think that what happens at the end of the 19th century is not univocal in the sense that, you know, Teddy Roosevelt's work in civil service reform first in New York and then, you know, on a, on a broader level um, is in response to the fact that we scaled up population wise massively in that same time between the civil war and the first world war. And you have enormous political machines corruptly running most of our major cities by that time. And you're trying to get some version of government that is not completely beholden to political appointments. Um, so I, I think, I guess I'm a little more sanguine on that time in general, not a fan at all of Woodrow Wilson. Uh, he lied. He didn't keep us out of the war. But um, not. I, I, I think that there are other impulses, and I think scale was always a problem, I guess is what I'm saying, because as soon as scale has to get bigger in the Civil War, uh, we begin to develop the kind of administrative state that each of the wars thereafter will also increase in size. That's that's all extremely fair, and why am I not surprised that, you know, um, a Lutheran pastor has some crazy deep historical knowledge about these, you know, arcane issues that are supposed to be my domain. Um, but, uh, well, I'm ignorant. I, by the way, I'm ignorant. You outran me a couple laps ago, so don't worry. <laughs> but um, having said that, you know, whatever you wanted to say, but obviously the modern administrative state we got through progressivism was in many ways a reaction to, you know, the backlash of corruption involving patronage and stuff like that um you know uh one of the things we we did away we, we did away with sorry we got direct election of senators during that same time as part of a a progressive movement which i would argue is, is a very you know bad thing that happened but at the same time there's no denying there was a lot of corrupt things happening in state houses at the time in terms of deciding, you know, what patronage and what kickbacks were involved in, you know, who got sent to Washington. Um, I just think that whatever the problems of patronage were, they were at least politically accountable. You know, voters at the end of the day could, you know, show up and, um, you know, do something about the patronage problems, whereas we've set up a system now where the bureaucracy is completely unaccountable to ordinary voters. Um, and, and that is a huge, huge problem problem. Um, but, you know, like, like 
the, pro the, the saying it's a problem of scale is an incredibly accurate diagnosis. And whatever you want to say about, you know, the, the need to address the problems of, you know, a country of 350 million people, whatever system you choose to scale up at that level, you're going to have big problems for sure. Yep. Yep. So we got a follow-up question from Wesley Clark, uh, and uh, it's going to take a second for me to drop it in and have it show up for everyone else who's watching. He asks this then, so which government system has Christianity and or the church flourished most under? Can that even be measured beyond church growth? Oof, too much of a question, he kind of says by the end of it. But, you know, is, is there a time or a history when you see Christianity really doing what it's supposed to do. And this is where a little of the, uh, the Hauerwas resident aliens, maybe the collapse of the modern Christendom wasn't such a bad thing. Um, uh, might be worth pondering at least. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I, I don't know where the, where the question is coming from. Like, you know, so what's his favorite political period? Uh, what's his favorite historical period? Does he really like this or that King? So, I think some of that is driven by, okay, yes, if, if most of Christianity's historical existence is in Europe, and these are the forms of government most prevalent in Europe throughout, you know, what we call now the Middle Ages, uh, okay, now I'm going to ask you, what do you mean by flourishing? So um, there are different ways to measure that. Theologically, I'm going to measure flourishing by the proclamation of God's word. And I don't see that that actually is waiting upon any particular governmental structure to happen, right? So the stuff that we've been talking about tonight is not necessarily about, yes, please give me the post-World War II administrative state. I love it. I just want it to work better. Or no, please give me, give me 1787 back directly. We're saying that the church has to proclaim God's truth and needs to think critically about how to do that under changing political circumstances, but um, a theological judgment on some particular form of government is not one that I think you can clearly make from Scripture, although you can see that God erects a self-governing commonwealth, uh, which, is, which then goes awry because the judges don't do their jobs. And then monarchy becomes, as it were, a kind of a punishment. So no matter how you feel about Constantine, and I feel pretty positive about Constantine generally. You Byzantium proponent, you. Right. But but um, no matter how you feel about Constantine, you have to recognize that biblically in the narrative, monarchy is part of the punishment because the king will do things to you that mm -hmm. were never going to happen before then. So Willie Grills pays five bucks to ask Adam Coons what ginger ale he is drinking. Just so you know, that's how that's how rostered clergyman Willie Grills has spent his hard-earned <laughs> stewarded income. He needs to know. Uh, yeah, that's uh, word fitly spoken. Uh, it's a solid uh, solid podcast. I'm drinking a Verner's ginger ale. A Verner's. It's a Verner's. Yes, uh, yeah, that's, hey, that's, hey that's Michigan. Mark, I want to ask about uh, Congress. I think we got a red Congress coming. That's what I think. I think all the rest of it's going to be kind of funnily seen under at least a close a tip or a close to tip with Congress. You don't think so? I mean, already we're looking at probably Democrats adding another five seats. Oh, that's awful. In, don't tell me. House of Representatives. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't you know, I don't want to say much about what's happening tonight other than, you know, it's much closer than anyone predicted and the odds of Republicans holding the Senate are, are much better than anyone thought a few hours ago. 
Um, but you know, I, you know, I, I mean, at this point in time, it would be crazy to make any sort of big predictions about it. I do know that in general, Americans tend to like divided rule to some degree. Right. Right. The fact that they're preserving a Democratic House with a man who they consider slightly insane in a presidency would make sense. That, that does. What, what I don't wonder, though, is is if what I think is that much of the noise and frustration and distraction has become is because of the uh, Speaker Pelosi. If you had a uh, majority in the House and uh, lost the Senate, I think it'd be better for the president. He'd be able to control the narrative more than he's been able to do. But then again, I don't know this stuff. And you do. That's why I'm asking you. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's really hard to say. I mean, Schumer tends to make a lot of noise on his own. And, and the issue, again, is you're focused on Congress, which is a huge, 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 huge mistake. Okay. Congress doesn't run the country anymore. The media runs the country. All right. What happens in Congress, the only way anyone knows about it is what the media tells you about it. Hey, Brian, you're making noise. Sorry, I'm looking up the word univocal that Adam said a few minutes ago. <laughs> I had to pull out my dictionary. But, um, Let me mute myself. Move it from your mic or something. Yeah, yeah. Keep the, going, Mark. The Democratic Party did not run Joe Biden's campaign. The media ran Joe Biden's campaign. Right, I mean, right. just flat out did. I mean, it's not, it's not even close. I mean, clearly they have their thumb on the scale. And so that's, I think, the big challenge. You know, you say Nancy Pelosi makes all this noise and be better. Like, well, no, because it's not about Nancy Pelosi making the noise. It's about the media allowing her to make that noise because they are increasingly at a time when news is very fragmented on the Internet and everything, trying to you know, act as gatekeepers. And on top of that, a lot of what's going on here is it's kind of weird because Trump is the, Matt Taibbi is this left wing journalist with Rolling Stone, but he's kind of like an interesting character he's kind of broken with a lot of his colleagues in recent you know months and he had this great line the other day he said trump is simultaneously like the politician in america that's done the most lying and the politician that's been the most lied about <laughs> and um it's very very true um what what's going on here and I, I think part of what we're seeing in the election results tonight is that people are very resentful of the last couple of years where the media are trying to basically like turn up the volume so loud that you vote just to turn the volume down. Yep. And it's not about, you know, whether or not you agree with the actual policies or, you know, whether or not you're better off economically than you were four years ago or any substantive issue. It's literally they are not holding on to the levers of power like they would like they would like to. So they're going to make it painful to follow politics until things change. So then what do you think about big tech's involvement this last week and how they've begun uh, controlling information even more? I, nothing has disturbed me more than watching uh, at Jack uh, be, quote unquote, grilled by Ted Cruz. As Ted Cruz looked out of control and, and Jack looked like he knew no one could ever touch him. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? What's the word on big tech's involvement in the election? I mean, social media generally and Twitter very specifically are the devil. Yeah. I mean, just absolute the devil. I mean, like, I'm, I'm not even, like, being facetious. No, I, don't, I agree with you, yeah. It's this yeah. satanic influence in our lives. Hmm. And I am now in a profession where, like, I am increasingly trying to pull back from Twitter. And I, can, I can't cut Twitter out if I want to because yep. literally, like, that's my job. That's where things happen. But, like, for instance, Twitter in particular is, is – Twitter is something particular where, unlike Facebook – it actually has a very small user base, you know, in terms of, you know, the number of actual Americans that use it. And then you go into the number of actual Twitter 
users and the ones in some like incredibly tiny per, my, minority of active Twitter users, which are already a small subset, say, compared to Facebook users even, is responsible for like an overwhelming majority of the content. And on top of that, of those that are active on Twitter daily, it's overwhelmingly liberal. Now, who is active, of course, in this tiny bubble of a bubble of a bubble are, you know, you know, Washington pundits and and you can hop on Twitter and I've got like this crazy tweet deck set up where I've got like eight different columns of stuff and it's like plugging into the matrix. Yeah, right. Like, watch these like bad, like untruthful narratives like form in real time based on what political objective they're trying to achieve. Hmm. And I can't begin to tell you like what a destructive influence and part of the reason why our politics are so contentious is because there are all these journalists that are like, you know, in this bubble where they're getting constant, you know, and, and liberal pundits and, and even conservative pundits are, you know, they're in these, they're in their own siloed off their own bubble with positive reassurance for their worst, most base tendencies. And it's a huge, huge problem. Um, just to that, I would add anybody watching this, there's a documentary on Netflix right now called The Social Dilemma. And what it is, is they have a bunch of like top Silicon Valley engineers and execs, people that worked at Google and Twitter, these big companies, and they just line up one after one after you know another and say, what social media is doing to you is completely evil. It's designed to monetize you as a person. It's designed to you know, you know, you know, play havoc with your dopamine receptors. It's addicted. Yep. They know exactly what they're doing. They've done psychological studies on this. They've done technological studies on this. They're constantly yeah. a being how to mess with your head. Yep. Like, and it's shocking. And, and on top of that, the great thing about it is that it's an incredibly, as far as these things go, unbiased documentary. Like they actually stepped back and they were like, this is such an important message that, you know, we're going to portray Republican politicians in a favorable light and we're going to not talk down to anybody. And, and it's done in such a way that I think it's it's basically family friendly. So if you've got like sophisticated, you know, older kids, you know, say high school age or maybe precocious junior high kids, I think you could definitely show them this. And in general, you should completely unless you have some you know, serious professional obligation, unfortunately I do, um, cut it out of your life as much as you humanly can. It's bad. It's There's bad. no question. There's no question this stuff's drug addictive. It is. And they've, they've tried to make it more so. I think this goes for movies and TV too. I don't think that this has been likened to tobacco knowing well ahead of time what the real science was. I, I, I just have a feeling that the movie industry knows what they're doing. And they know how the flickering of flashing images and splicing things up um, just pulls the brain in. It turns off uh, any type of like response and makes you malleable to the images. Forget the words, the images that you're being given. And over time and over a lifetime, uh, you don't need anyone in charge conspiracy theory. The devil knows what he's doing well enough. Um, and so the fact that it's a drug, uh, that the blue light's a drug, it to me is one of the greatest threats to humanity uh and i say that as someone who was i I was suckled on blue light right and it hurts to look at turn it off take it away but like you i can't i can't i'm a voice out here i've said it publicly my job is to get you off the internet i'm a christian who wants to get you to spend less time on the internet and more time in your bible with your kids speaking of which i got adam coons here i know he's got something even more clever than that to say brian you should jump in here too we got we got 10 minutes till 10 if you guys can hang around till 10 o'clock we'll call it a night yeah i can hang out until then so, Koontz, um, jump in, and then Brian, prefer to follow Mark whenever. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a vortex, and like the the question of need is is one that becomes increasingly um, 
less obvious to me what is the need. Um, I try, I, I, you know, as a pastor, you you do need to be where people are. That's kind of not optional. So some kind of presence is necessary. Um, I don't know what it's like to be a journalist, but I do know what it's like to be a pastor. And you don't need to be on the Internet nearly as much as most of us are. And it's not helping us to be there most of the time. I can do a quick rundown of people's birthdays, maybe post something a couple of times a week and get off. I don't I don't really need to be there. I don't need to be checking uh, to get those dopamine hits. Yeah, and I, I just would also add that the engagement you get with like non, you know, blue light sources intellectually and otherwise, you know, even a novel that has disagreeable morals is like a million times better than like most <laughs> things on the internet. You That's know? right. Yeah, right. In yep. terms of the sustained interaction you have, you're just at least thinking about the character's choices or things like that. Then, you know, a lot of the clickbait and other things like that. Um, and more than that, it's just time to, like, slow things down and be deliberate, you know, in, in your choices. The whole point is to get you to react one way or the other, to jump and spend money here or attack this person or vote this way. You know, I got like eight push applications on my phone yesterday from like different like random apps telling me to vote. You know, I mean, no offense. If like that's the reason why you're voting, don't vote. Right. <laughs> I mean, it needs to be like a conscious, thoughtful decision. You know, you know, I, that's, um, there's a funny story on that. Uh, I think it was my head elder responded to my Instagram post this morning after I voted. He had clicked on the advertisement that came up with it about how to vote. And it did not help him, but told him instead to call a – it was actually a Democratic uh, national uh, – part uh, somehow Democratic propaganda phone number. Call us. The Democrats will help you vote is what came through the Instagram click, right? So it wasn't even able to really help the guy get to where he wanted to go to find the information that he wanted. Um, I don't know if that was worth sharing. Brian, what do you think? I, I watched The Social Dilemma, and I was not as impressed with it as I thought I would be. And, and maybe it's because – kind of in the end, all this sort of environmental activism came up and sort of put my radar up on it. And I was talking to, to my uh, friend, Pastor Warren Graff, about it, if, in fact, before I watched it. And and he was talking about how if you wanted to, you could, you could go back and blame all major disruptions and change of communications. You can go back and blame the 40 Years War on Gutenberg. You could blame World War II on the radio. If you wanted to go back and and blame these major um, fights on the increase in communication, you'd do it, but you would you'd perhaps be missing the point that there's always something more than the technology there. There's a, there's a spirit at work underneath the technology. Um, I, I, so, I, so I'm not as willing to, I mean, maybe this is what I, I'm not as willing to, to concede that we are in, that we are as passive as the kind of social dilemma that um, wants us to to paint us, but I, I still I gotta think about it a little bit more because I'm like I think I'm the only maybe the only one that has that kind of hesitancy. But I think your larger point is very good, actually. I mean, I, I think that's very true. I mean, but the problem is, is all of these things exploit your human nature, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. I think that the sophistication of what's going on with social media is on another level compared to say radio and you know the gutenberg press or whatever in terms of those were like narrow channels of information very disruptive sure but they were they weren't capable of bombarding you with like 85 different messages at once you know right right i i want to i if i could just just i mean maybe to, this is a circle back around uh to where you guys 
where I stopped running with you before, but this whole question about what kind of government is best for the Christian, I think that's actually really nice to ask, like right now, because tomorrow morning, maybe we wake up and we're, we're not sure 100% the shape of what our government will. I mean, we'll still have American democracy or something like it. Yeah, you know, CIA will still work. <laughs> yes. But but the but maybe the point is that Jesus has has created a church that is robust or maybe even better it's anti-fragile in the sense that the devil tries to exploit us in every direction. You know, so the devil tries to exploit us with the weeds or with the stones. It can be persecution or it can be uh, affluence and pleasure. The devil tries to tempt us both with freedom and with slavery. But the point is that Jesus has given us his holy spirit which in fact not only can endure those things, but thrives in exactly every circumstance in which we find ourselves. So we say, what will be better for the church? For example, will it be President Trump or President Biden? And the answer is yes, whatever we get will be what's best because Jesus sits on the throne and rules and reigns for the church. And the very nature of the body of Christ is that it cannot die. It's just really uh, so there's a beautiful comfort in that in the sense that wherever we find ourselves is precisely what is best for us by the will of jesus and and even maybe one more thing if the devil you know if we say well look the devil gives it to us but just like job who refuses to receive all his affliction from the hand of the devil but rather receives it from the hand of god so we will take whatever the lord gets us whatever the devil gives us and we'll praise the Lord for it. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Adam, you look like you're chomping at the bit there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the idea that, uh, you know, the CIA will go on. I mean, I think uh, if you're talking about the administrative state, you'd have to talk about all the stuff that has grown up since the Second World War and seems to be, you know, deep is usually the adjective. Deeper, uh, more enduring, uh, and certainly has its own interests. Uh, in ways that might have nothing to do with elections anymore. So if, like, if, if you can identify, yeah, the, the judiciary's role has grown enormously over American history. Uh, there's also lots of stuff that just has no obvious place anywhere in the Constitution that is far bigger than that. Um, and that stuff is really not controlled by whatever comes out of tonight, which I don't think will be anything conclusive tomorrow. Yeah, it's not going to change. It's not going to change that trajectory that we're talking about, which not everyone really buys us there. I'm curious, uh, Mark, as as a DC insider, DC statehood. I mean, should we do it? No. (laughs) (laughs) It was facetious. It was facetious. It was supposed to be a softball. It's a start shift. I lived in DC for, gosh, what was it, 11, 12 years? And I mean, it really is like the worst managed place in the country. I mean, it's it's terrible. Like I got used to like certain things that like I just it was so weird when I moved to the Virginia suburbs, which Virginia has its own problems, but it's it's basically a well-run state. Like when I like I had like this weird like Stockholm syndrome where like I got used to my trash not being picked up randomly, you know, like it was just like normal that 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 happened. Um, And, you know, yeah. Well, Mark, I really thank you for coming on tonight. I know you uh, you do this professionally, and you're just chiming in for free here. So thank you so much for sharing your insight, uh, oh, Brian. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to have you back on Saturday morning sometime, and that goes for both Brian and Adam. Now that we got Skype working for at least one guest, we can drop you guys in for 15 minute segments on Saturday whenever you like. 
Uh, and uh, we'll have to try that in the future and have you in. Maybe in a couple of weeks, Mark, I'll reach out and see if you want to do some commentary on what the country looks like <laughs> when we True. figure out what it really, really looks yeah, like. Yeah, what are so. the odds that we're going to know uh, today or tomorrow, Mark? What do you think? I mean, odds are we'll have an idea at some point. Those are the odds. There's still a very, very good chance that something goes completely sideways. It's looking like it's going to be a narrow electoral college victory. You know, victory. Already, we have a situation here where DeKalb County, the most populous county in Georgia, there's some sort of water main break, and they're not, you know, going to be counting votes. There are a whole bunch of crazy Patrick election um, rules where Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled that absentee ballots can be accepted three days after the up to three days after the election. And oh, by the way, they don't have to have a postmark proving that the ballots were submitted before the election. I mean, like you're gonna. Have, you might see some the, the chances of there being something really crazy where the drags on for days or weeks or months is is not you know trivial. Not trivial, but so but with the electoral college, could that could that kind of be the the silver lining lining that could stop it from really mattering if it's the right place? I mean, Pennsylvania it seems like that's going to be where it's really going to come down the water. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, but like yeah, for instance, like you just mentioned Pennsylvania, for instance, like uh, in May. Um, a former Democratic congressman and a Democratic election judge were indicted for voter fraud in multiple elections in, in, in Philadelphia. Like, you know, I mean, things can go really, really wrong. And things are, you know, not just it's not just a function of corruption, although that's part of it. The other part of it is simply, you know, in a country of 350 million people where you might see voter turnout, like unlike anything we've ever seen, where 180, 190 million votes are cast, you know, in the middle of a pandemic where the local states had all kinds of rules about who could be where and what they had to wear and how many people could be in a room when they're counting votes and stuff like that. Um, you know, we had that congressional election in New York that dragged on for what was it? Six weeks or, you know, mm. or something before anyone had a, a clear idea, you know, I don't know. Uh, just, you know, I, I did see. I did see. I even saved it so I can share this here as we close at the end. That the CDC uh, did release today. See if I can drop us in here. Um, information that it, even if you have COVID, that you should feel free to go and vote because it, it won't really matter in this case. So I have that. And yeah. CDC says people who test positive for COVID can vote in person. Just in case you didn't feel gaslit yet, um, just know that the disease doesn't mind election day. And then maybe it'll be back tomorrow. Uh, it's been the Mad Christian crazy tonight trying to work through what? Your certainty that though the muck is deep and you feel knee deep, even neck deep in it, Christ is risen from the dead. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now. He's coming back soon anyway. The water has sealed you. The food feeds you. This is Christianity. You've already joined us because you stuck around to listen through the whole evening. So go out tomorrow, not afraid to be who you are because Christ has made you that. He has guaranteed you as that to be light in the darkness, to be salt in a world that needs some flavor. And that flavor, I'm telling you right now, it's fatherhood. If you haven't found the Sons of Solomon yet and the Psalms we're praying every day for the next year to try to do something good for our country, regardless of what happens tonight, you got to check that out. If you haven't found the Mad Christian Discord, Mad Monday. So you got Brian Wolfmuller's stuff too, Dr. Kunstadt, Concordia, Fort Wayne. And of course, uh, Mark Hemingway, where can they find you? Make sure I'll, I'll promote you there too. Where can they go most likely for you is it uh, real clear investigations is real clear job. investigations is his day job uh and uh we'll be back saturday to uh clean up the mess for the rest of you not even gonna bother with the closing night we'll catch you on the next side rock on